Today's podcast is brought to you by School Clothes. Fueled by passion for social change, they're on a mission to empower the leaders for tomorrow with just a touch of style. Uh, somewhere after adolescence, society tried to take control, telling you to live a certain way and to do things a certain way because that's the way it is. But School Clothes is here to pull you out of that box. You know, class is in session. Uh, so look, just for being a listener to today's podcast, if you go to School Clothes, that's uh, S K O O L hyphen clothes.com um use our promo code straight str the number eight and you're going to get 15 percent off of your order um you guys definitely check it out man uh, it's, it's great quality um urban gear um it's comfortable I, i'm not gonna lie to you it's comfortable I, I got my package uh probably like a little over two or three weeks ago now maybe a month um and i, I swear I'm, I'm wearing school clothes pretty much everywhere i go um even my wife is telling me like man you're killing that that uh crew neck but um i love it you know um there are so many different colorways uh i have the actual school um the one that says school on, on the chest plate and i have a gray colorway and, and a uh, navy uh colorway um they're, they're both dope um and you'll definitely like it it is very comfortable but it also will keep you warm um it's great quality as well, man. So check it out. Go to School Clothes again. That's S-K-O-O-L hyphen clothes.com and use the promo code straight S-T-R to number eight. And you're going to get 15% off of your order. So it's that time of year again. Um, for any of you that have been paying attention, um, I told you recently that we're, we were going to put together a best of uh, 2005 um, episode of the podcast so um now I, I will be completely honest with you when i said that i was going to do that i did not realize the amount of work that i had cut out for myself um <laughs> it, it was a lot to go through um all of these podcasts and then just to really see you know your your insight and what you like and what you didn't like and um i found that there was some great quality content um in, in all of those um, conversations, but like once again, it was a lot of stuff to go through. So, um, I couldn't get everything, you know, that I wanted, but I, I was able to, um, find some of those key points that I felt that, you know, um, would interest a lot of people. So, you know, we, we've had quite a number of guests on the podcast, um, over this past year and you guys that that's been rocking with us for, for the, duration of that time you've seen the podcast slowly make a a shift um you know things kind of moved a little bit different it went from um just interviewing uh to more advice and tips on indie um guidance and you know things of that nature so uh you guys saw that that transition and that transition to be honest with you has been one of the best decisions that i could have made uh but 2015 uh the podcast grew uh, substantially and in, in both just volume and subscribers um you guys are are giving me more feedback I, i'm getting calls i'm getting text messages um um you know dms all of that everybody's just telling me emails about you know the the how helpful the information has been for you o over the past couple of months and i do appreciate all of those things and um you know all, a lot of that had you know some input on me actually putting this uh 
podcast together. So, you know, first off, I do want to say thank you um, to everybody that's listened to the podcast this year. It's been a phenomenal year. Um, and I do appreciate you, you listening. I do appreciate all those calls and emails and text messages and, and you know, messages on social media. Um, we will continue to do this podcast. We're going to try to make some things better, fine tune some things. So um, you'll be better equipped um throughout your career and hopefully we can keep doing that um and, and we're going to definitely push to have some some other guests uh, on the podcast um i do want to say a special thanks to all of the sponsors um you know and, and some of them are not paying for this particular episode but i do want to shout all of them out over the year we, we've had um the school closes our sponsor for this particular podcast we've had lander who is also a sponsor on today's podcast they have really um you know, helped us out throughout the whole year. Um, so definitely a salute to them. Um, Amazon.com. Um, I do appreciate you guys for helping out. Um, Audible. Um, I, I really want to thank you guys. You were the first ones that really gave us a chance um, when it comes to sponsoring. So thank you to, to you guys, especially. Um, but, you know, without further ado, um, I'm just going to go over a quick little ground rules of how this thing is going to go. Um, I thought about giving you commentary for each person um, prior to that conversation happening, but I felt that it would have been a bit too much. So what I will say is that um, after I stop talking, eventually you guys will hear all of these best of um, conversations. It's, it's close to about, I think about an hour and 40 minutes, 45 minutes of um, interviews and, and um, it's going between interviews that, you know, one-on-one -on -one interaction with people. And then there's also um, just the advice that I was giving us a mix of, of what we've had throughout the whole year. So um, you can definitely get something from, from everything there. But um what I did, um, what you will be able to see is in the show notes, um, more of a breakdown. Um, so if you if you wanted to skip ahead, if you if you didn't feel like listening to the whole thing, it's, it's totally up to you. But I'll have uh, notes in the show notes. I'll show you uh, this person, what they're talking, a brief description, maybe, you know, two or three words and a timestamp. So you can um, scroll directly to them if you wanted to do that. Um, but other than that, you know, uh, uh, Jay Coop is on the episode, uh, Red Coat, Dreek London, Melody Rain, uh, Maurice Garland, um, Earth Gain, uh, Div, JB, Gospel Lee, and, and a host of other other people uh, we put together here uh, to kind of help you guys. And, and hopefully you guys get to learn learn a little bit from here. If you didn't hear the podcast, if, you, if you're new and this is your first time listening, thank you for listening. Um, feel free if it's something that you, you feel that's helpful for you to subscribe. Um, I always push for you guys to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I would love to get all of that feedback from you. Um, but yeah, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and kick it off right now with Jay Cook. Um, I will give a, a brief commentary on this particular conversation and why I chose to not only open it up, um, but the reason why I chose this this segment uh, of our uh, conversation. Um, Jay Coop released his um, Good Day Atlanta album back in July, and he actually used a lot of the commentary that we have from this podcast on the album you know and I just felt that it, it it would be nice for you guys to kind of hear the context of that conversation and um why he chose to pull it out uh, of our podcast here and you know just kind of hear the story leading up to what he said in its entirety because if you listen to the album it's bits and pieces kind of pulled up but now you can kind of hear the full conversation of what happened so we'll start there and then we'll go into Melody Rain and then 
uh, a few other people. But once again, check out the show notes if you need more of a detailed explanation of each person um, and what's going on and, and the timestamp of when that happened. Uh, but other than that, thank you for rocking with us. Um, we have some things in store for 2016 that I can't really go through right now, but Trust me, it will be some phenomenal things that that's happening um, if everything goes to plan. So uh, once again, I appreciate you guys for listening and hey, check out the podcast. You know, for those who don't know Jay Coop, you know, where did it start for, you know, for, for you, man, like with this whole rap thing, everything? Man, it started when I was, um, I had to been about 13, 14 years old and um I wasn't rapping. I was I was playing sports. I used to run track and I played football. And uh, my, my friends they rap. And you know every day after school, you know everybody would be outside rapping. Yeah. <laughs> and you know eventually it was you know I, I started messing around with it. You know I used to actually I was writing music before um like before all that, but it was like it was like R and B music. Mm-hmm. And um but that was like when I was like real young. So I mean I I always been writing, but you know I got. You know, hanging around them, I got I got more into the rap, and you know, it just it it became something that that I just I I became real passionate about it. It was you know it was it was a lot of fun to me, mm. and you know from there it 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 cultivated and and it bloomed into into what drives pretty much drives my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's real, man. You said like what pretty much drives your life, like you you know. And and it's, it's even weird that we even have to bring it up, but it's like that's not normal in rap anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like a lot of people, they're not in it because this drive their their life. You know what I'm saying? They're yeah, in it really for like the check. check yeah, they're trying to get that check. And it's yeah. like to hear somebody say, you know, basically in in a sense to paraphrase what you said, like without rap, it's kind of like that's your your identity. You know what I mean? I like, know it, man. That's man, like. The the for the time when I was on my on my hiatus trying to get my um <laughs> we're gonna talk about that hiatus too, man. <laughs> trying to get my thing right it was man it was I didn't you know it it just didn't feel right you mm-hmm. know without without me doing um without me doing music because I wasn't writing and I mean I was listening to a lot of music but you know I wasn't making it I wasn't I wasn't writing so it was you know it was it, it was I was going through a, a a crisis, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm glad you brought it up, bro, because I do want to talk about it. Um, for those that that don't really know, you know what we're talking about. Just to give you some some background information, uh, uh, Coop was pretty much on a roll. Um, you know, as a solo artist, just moving, man. And I know you had did um, around that time you had dropped Pimp Type Player. Pimp Type Player. Um, and shout out, that's a classic, man. Y'all should definitely go and check out Pimp Type Player. Yeah, man. Y'all go to. Uh, thegreatcoop.bandcamp.com and uh, you can get that right there. Yeah, I mean, it's really a dope project, man. And, you know, you know, so you yeah, had just released that and, and I think you, you were working on the uh, the project with um, Charmly Ghetto and Bib and Truth. Yeah, and Truth on that. And that was uh, the Suave House project. And, you know, it was right around that time, um, you know, I just heard Coop. Coop was like, "Yeah, yo, I'm about, I'm about to be out." And I was like, "Yo, where you going? You know, what I'm saying? like, you about to be out? Like, like, what's up? Like, what's, what's good? To talk to me." It was like, "Man, I'm, I'm gonna go to the military. You know, go to the uh, national, was it National Guard? National Guard. Go to the reserve." And you know, me, man, like at, at the time, I was dealing with a situation very similar because my at the time, well, I don't even know. She wasn't even my fiance at the time. I don't think. 
I think we were just dating, but she yeah. was, um, yeah, she had to be, yeah, we I definitely, we were not engaged at that time, but my fiance, my wife now, she was in, um, she had just went to the military in the reserve. Right. And so I kind of had both sides to it because I had like, I knew where he was coming, where you were coming from. Like, man, you know, I it's time to make some real life decisions. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. And at the same time, I knew, like, man, like, I know what going to the reserves do. Like, you really, that's, when you reserve, you, military, that's it. Like, you, you got to go gung-ho with that for a while. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, and I, I remember you told me that. I was just like, well, um, <laughs> hey, bro, like, you, I, I think I said, like, man, you're a grown man, bro. You got to make grown man decisions. So, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, you got my support. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm telling your story, dude. You can go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know, man. It was um, like you say, man. Things I was, you know, things was kind of on the road. I was, you know, I was moving. I was, you know, I was doing this and that, and mm-hmm. you know, certain people were noticing me. And but my money, it, it money was, it was, it was, it was real jacked up. Yeah. To you know, um, and I had to do something because you know I got a, a family. I got mal. I had mouths to feed mm-hmm. like literally like you know they looking at me to to do something and you know rap wasn't really um it wasn't really it wasn't paying the bills yeah i had a weak job at um at walmart <laughs> and i think wow well, was i um at have been uh 23 about to turn about to turn 24 and i just i had to make a decision yeah and uh, what was that? Um, I almost, I almost stopped altogether. Um, I did. Uh, let me see. Um, I was gonna drop the album a little later, but I, I know. Matter of fact, I wasn't gonna drop the album at all. The pen type player, right? right. Yeah, but then yeah. I decided, you know, I said I'm gonna go ahead and put it out, and I put all this work into it, so I'm gonna put it out um, before I go. I think I put it out maybe about a week or two before I left. That's right. It came out in like February. I think, came, think like it was like February second, February first, something, like yeah. something like that. And you know, um, I was shit. I was, <laughs> I was. I remember it, dude. Like the project dropped, and, and the crazy part about it was like the project dropped. You know, Coop was gone. You know, doing basic training, and I'm just like from the outside looking in. I'm just seeing like, like the buzz is picking. Yeah, up. it was doing it, like it was doing some things, man. Matter of fact, uh, shout out to Sean CK yeah. and, Ruby and Ruby Hornet yeah. for um, you know putting putting some steam behind that. And um, Charles Farr for doing the artwork on that, and you know they were they were a real big help. Uh, Jay Good with a lot of the mixing, some of the production, introspective mind. Well, pretty much the production was yeah, introspective was right, yeah. and Jay Good. <laughs> that was that was dope, man, to do that too, man, just to come together and really put put together a cohesive project. Yeah, and, and you know really make it happen man it was like it was really moving man like you seen it was getting all the traction and, and you know people were writing about it and, and really were was writing about it from their own perspective like, right right it, it was like they listened to it and then wrote about it, it wasn't like uh yeah. here's a you know here's a new project check it out and um yeah you know so it was like going through that and the whole time coop was in there you know <laughs> <laughs> yes sir you know <laughs> you know yeah. so um you know that that journey back man because i i clearly remember you were sitting in that very same seat and um at the time you was like you had came back and i was like yo so what's good man you ready to get back on he was like man i think i'm just gonna i'm gonna I'm a fall back man i'm gonna get the team right you know and it was like man let me let me get 
uh, truth and, and everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the plan was to be like a manager. I mean, even yeah. before all that, I came back from, um, went to basic training, and then mm -hmm. I went to um, school for um, the trade I picked up, and then came back home um, looking around for, you know, whatever to do, and... Um, I mean, I was really, I was at, at that point. I was looking to go. Um, I was looking to go full time, mm -hmm. but the stars didn't align. Thank God they didn't. For, yeah. for, the, <laughs> for that. Um, thank God that 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 didn't happen. You were trying to go school for. Oh, no, no, I was. Going, I was trying to go full time. time. Oh, the military. Um, okay. You know, I was just still in that mind state, and you know, I got a family. I got. Yeah. I got this and that. I got to do, but. Um, that that didn't happen. So what ended up happening is, um, the unit I was with, they ended up, uh, they happened to be going on a uh, deployment to Afghanistan. So yeah. I volunteered for that. And I was gone for that time period. And then I came back. I was, um, when I came, when I left, I was living in Atlanta. When I came back, I stayed in South Carolina. I was staying in South Carolina. Uh, went to school yeah. and, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, going to school to be a teacher. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was, you know, absolutely still talking to Bib and Truth. So it was like, well, you know what? I, I still got love for this music thing. So yeah. I'm going to at least help them get off the ground. And so we, um, I remember the first, I think I said, I got a show, uh, well, not a show, but um, a performance slot for them at uh, the Underground Ra underground Railroad. Yeah. And I drove all the way from South Carolina to see them, uh, see them perform. Mm hmm and um we had been talking and we decided to put together the uh the album the losers went again and um i don't know we were gonna use some old songs and then we started putting together some new stuff <laughs> and then i was like well you know man let me write a verse yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me let me just see man so um just i wrote a uh i think the first verse i think i wrote when i uh in a while was the uh the verse about business oh yeah and um that's a tough tune, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a tough tune. And uh, you know, man, I remember I I was back and forth to Atlanta like like every week. Um, you know, I came, you know, we shot the uh the Caddy music video, mm -hmm. and you know, from there, man, it was you know a few months being in South Carolina, it was, you know, it really sucked. It, like it was, it's nothing out there. Yeah. At all, <laughs> I mean, the part I was at. I mean, where you, you was in? I was like... in uh, Boiling Springs. That's like near uh Greenville. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I was just, I was, I had a little, um, I had a little gig, a little job, and I was going to school, and I mean, that was pretty much it, yeah, man. And, yeah. and just, yeah. It was the same thing over and over again. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and yeah, a few months in, man, we um packed my family up, man, and we moved back to Atlanta. Yeah. And you know, I got right back on the music ground. I went to Guitar Center, bought me a um, a whole new studio, and. You know, I got, 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 I got to work. <laughs> I am Melody Rain. I am 21 years old. Um, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. It'll be two years in May. Okay. Um, I'm an artist. I'm a mother. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a hard question. <laughs> well, you know, it's a question. I know it's a very, it's, you know, it's a very broad yeah. question. But, you know, I, I asked that because I... I know that it brings out a lot of emotions and a lot of, you know, just a lot of dialogue. Like, you yeah. know, there's so many things about who you are. So, yeah. you know, um, I want to start at the um, the main part, the artist part, you okay. know, um, kind of give us that that foundation of like, how did you become an artist? Like, where is the origin of Melody Rain? Well, um, 
I think, well, I always like to write. In middle school, I had started doing poetry. Like, I actually still have, like, six journals full of poetry. So, um, and I've been singing since I was young. My mom said I was singing when I was 10 months. Like, I would just be humming. So, it's just always been something that I love to do. But um, what really made me want to pursue my music was after I had my son. Gotcha. Yeah. So, was that one of those things where, you know, it's... I don't want to say it's funny, but it's kind of weird because a lot of times when you hear people say they have, mm-hmm. you know, a child, it slows yeah. them down. But yeah. for you, it felt like it was more of inspiration and like, let me do what I need to yeah. do. Yeah, because like at the time, um, I had just got out of high school um, and I was like working several jobs because some things had happened. Like me and my dad had gotten into an argument to where I couldn't go to college. I was actually supposed to go to Clark. Okay. But um, that didn't work out. And then, so it just gave me some time to work and stuff before I had found out. And um, I just realized that wasn't the life that I wanted to live. And um, it just wasn't the example that I wanted to set for my child. Just, you know, to settle just because something happened. Because I just believe you can do whatever you put your mind to. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. You know, I, I love to hear those stories because a lot of times people tend to give up. You yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah, and, and give up on, on the things that they want to do. And, you know, you, you took a, a situation like, you know, having a child and saying, like, I want to use this as, I guess, motivation to yeah. say, like, let me really do what I want to do. Yeah, you know? and I also want to inspire, like, the other mothers because, um, well, where I'm from, I'm from Indiana, um, a lot of the girls were getting pregnant before we even got out of high school. So mm-hmm. it's just, like, I just want to be a positive influence for, you know, young girls who had babies early because a lot of the time they do end up just settling out of fear, like, you know, I can't do it. or, But you definitely can. Gotcha. So, so answer this for me, right? When was the first time you realized that you truly had a talent? Like, I know you say your parents say you were singing, but I'm talking yeah. about you personally. How yeah. did, when did you realize that you had that talent? Um, I always kind of knew I could mm-hmm. sing. You know, it just wasn't... I wouldn't say it was just really something that was really important to me. It was just something that I just really did. Oh. But I always knew I could sing. I did, like, the whole church choir thing and the solos and all that stuff. My family was real big on church, so... Yeah. And you just just switched it up. I, yeah. you know, I, I always want to hear those stories because like, you know, and, and it's weird. Like a lot of people start off in the church. Um, and I guess that's like the biggest platform that you can have yeah. starting off. You know uh-huh. what I mean? So like to go from there and then it's like switch it up and say like, no, I want to kind of do my own thing. Uh, do you remember the first thing you recorded? Um, The first thing I recorded, I think it was a song called Faded. <laughs> Happy that? 420. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was a song called Faded. <laughs> And Fader, what what was the? I know what it was about, but kind of give us some details on on the record. Um, it was just about being faded, you know. But I was like comparing it to love. Um, uh, it was like, uh, if I can remember it, what was it? <laughs> I'm faded, so uh, you make me high like Mary Jane. You're so dope, boy. You're so insane. You got me numb like Novocaine. Match it, pass it, it's not a game. I'm faded, sedated, medicated. It had like a little um reggae vibe yeah. to it. <laughs> no, that's dope that you remember. How long ago was that? It was like, it was about two years ago. Two years ago. So yeah. that was like when you two, first got... Well, almost three, probably. Almost three. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you remember that like, like... Yeah. Like that, you know what I mean? Because I was trying to remember. At first, I didn't think I'd be able to, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's dope. I mean, you can 
bring that back out. Like yeah, a <laughs> remix. Yeah, yeah, hit a remix. Like, like so, I heard a record from you a couple of days ago. Uh, okay. The the way. Yeah. That that record there, and actually, what what was crazy is, um, I believe, um. Run had put up like a small snippet yeah. of it, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Yo, bro, I need this record." It was like, "No, we that's like dropping like in a few hours or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that." Mm-hmm. It was like, "Man, like um, the snippet alone caught my attention." Yeah. I was like, "Okay, this is this is some good music." Yeah, and now you know that I think that really is what kind of started this whole podcast yeah. thing. Now you know, mm-hmm. to, uh, get you in here. So, like, kind of talk about that record. Like, where are you? It is produced by uh, Justin Melody. Is that you? No, that's not. Okay, me. okay. Yeah. I want to know. That's <laughs> no. like a little. Somebody else has okay, me that too. Like no. a little AKA like producer slash songwriter. Okay, okay I was yeah. To make no, sure. I wish that'd be yeah. dope, man. <laughs> that'd be real dope. But um, actually, I wrote that song two years ago before I even came. Um, mm-hmm. I recorded it in Chicago, and that's not even the final you know, um, edition of that song, I guess. Um, I just wanted to put something out, you know, to shake people up because people haven't really heard a song like that from me mm-hmm. before. But um, the reason why I decided to put it out is because lately I've been doing my ladies' liberation classes at Dance 411. So that okay. means we're doing the pole, the chair dancing. And I just feel like there's nothing wrong with women, you know, expressing themselves sexually, how they feel. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because there's nothing wrong with it. The only thing that makes it different is because, like, a man can say anything and everybody just accepts it. But then when a woman say it, it's just, like, everybody looking like, what? Like, she can't do that. So I was just like, you yeah. know, forget that. <laughs> it's that it's that double standard, uh, yes. uh, of course. Um, yeah, Dance 411, I pass by that, like, often. And it's always crowded. Like, yes, always crowded. There's a lot there. of stuff going on over there. So, what, you, you teach that class or is it just No, I don't so... teach it. I just take several different classes. Okay. Um, you know, just brushing up on my dance and getting my show together for this project. Gotcha. So um, earlier you said you was from um, Indianapolis, Indiana. How did you make your way down here? Was it just for school going to to Clark or was it? Um, Well, initially it would have been had Mm -hmm. I actually went to college when I was supposed to, but then it's just, I don't know what it was. I just felt like I needed to be here. Yeah. Um, my mom, she lives in California. Okay. So everybody always asks me, well, why didn't you just go there? But I really wanted to do something on my own. Like, you know, kind of how in the Bible or like in Africa, they kind of throw the men to the wolves. Yeah. I just felt like the only way I was going to be able to really find out what I was doing and who I was and what I really wanted was to set out and go somewhere completely different where nobody knew me. You know what I'm saying? Because then I'll, I'll decide for myself, like, is this really important to me? Is this what I felt like I should do, but it was just like a personal journey, I guess. I was trying to go on. Yeah, I, I kind of want to stay right there for a second um, because to stand out and and take a journey like that—that's not something that comes easy. You know no, what I mean? Not so, at all. like to to say that I'm gonna leave everything that I that I know and then go to a place where I mean, don't get me wrong, Atlanta is a it's a very welcoming city, mm-hmm. but you don't know anybody down here, yeah. you know what I mean? So and they take rough. that journey. Yeah. So, you know, walk <laughs> us through that, like that you're, you're down here. Um, and what was this like two or three years ago, something like that? Yeah. It'd be two years in May. So, so, so yeah, two, two years and you're down here. Like, was it a culture shock? Like being in a, in a, cause I don't, I've never been to Indianapolis. Is it a big city or is um, it kind of, it's really small. Okay. It's kind of, you know, Northern country. It's a lot of cornfields. It's gotcha. not much going on. It's very slow. Yeah. Um, but uh, coming here, it wasn't really a culture shock because in middle school, actually, I lived in San Diego. Um, oh, okay. So, so it's just like I city. got a feel and a taste of for like big city gotcha. and California. But when I came here, I just really like just love the culture. Like it's just something about Atlanta that other cities don't have, especially creatively. Like there, there are a lot of stars birthed here. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just the scene and 
it's, it was just awesome. Life-changing money, right? And, and this can go in any field, but I'm, I'm talking about the music industry specifically. Um, a lot of artists are signing what is called a 360 deal, where it's pretty much um, record labels eat off 360 degrees of your your um, your income streams. You know, for a long time, record labels really only made money off of uh, record sales. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. You know, um, artists, you know, re people don't sell records anymore. So record labels are smart. There are businesses, there are corporate entities. So they had to figure out how can I keep making money from artists? Every artist want to have a record deal. Like that's just something that's happened forever. It, it doesn't go away. Everybody wants a record deal. So, um, you know, with that being said, record labels are smart. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of origin of 360 deals. You can look it up. Um, of how it started and the groups that it started with. It actually started, you know, um, not as a, a, a bad thing. It, you know, it it kind of formed into that out of desperation, which is something else that I'll talk about um, in, in, in a little bit later. Um, but, you know, these 360 deals, so, you know, they'll sign artists and they'll they'll eat off of your merch, eat off of your touring, eat off of, um, you know, of course, your record sales. They'll eat off of these reality shows that you may or may get um, through having a record deal. So it's pretty much eating off 360 degrees of you. So anything that you have, they're going to, you know, try to get money off of. And I can't blame them. They're, people don't sell records. You know, people are not selling millions of records. They're selling thousands of records now. And it's like, you know, with that being said, we got to, people are making money in other other avenues so it's like let's go after those so you know for the record there's nothing wrong with a 360 deal i just want to go ahead and get that out of, out of the way however the way i feel about a 360 deal is that it has to be life-changing money and life-changing money in my opinion is money that i can literally never touch and live off the interest for the rest of my life if something was to happen where my vocal cords got shut down, I couldn't rap anymore, or my leg was broken, I couldn't play sports anymore, any anything, um, you know, for that matter, just for the parallel for people to kind of understand a 360 deal, you shouldn't sign unless it's life-changing money. Now, of course, life-changing money is subjective. You know, some people are going to have their opinion. But in my opinion, life-changing money is money that I can literally put in the bank and it accrue interest every year and I can live off the interest and never touch that, that amount. So that number to me is, you know, anywhere between two to $4 million, you know, literally, I mean, $1 million you can put in the bank five, you know, get a 5% interest. You can live off $50,000 a year. That's great. Um, and people say they can't do it. They're, they're lying. You can do $50,000 a year. You just won't better do some of the stuff that you want to do, but $50,000 a year is not a bad number. You know, um, so that's that's where I was at with that. And, and some people, you know, they, they agree with it. Some people didn't. Um, and, and like I say, it's all subjective, man. Everybody have their own opinions, um, you know. But the main thing was just trying to get people to think about this. Don't sign away everything. So, you know, uh, the, the next thing that I said immediately following that um, was you could have made $35,000 a year working a, a regular job instead of taking, you know, signing a $70,000 360 deal for two years. Right. And you still own everything. So just look at it, like break it down in simple terms, just like this. If I made $35,000 a year, which most people can make working a regular job, you know, that's not even, you don't need a whole lot of, you know, if you got a college degree or whatever, $35,000 a year is pretty much an entry level salary at most places. You can get that. So if you made $35,000 a year for two years, that's $70,000. You ain't going to owe anybody but taxes, right? So think about that. 
that's the money you made for two years. So if you sign a two-year 360 deal for $70,000, you're basically made the same amount of money you made at a regular job, but people owe you owe people stuff because they own part of your brand now. So just look at it like that. It's just, it's, it's almost like a common sense factor. Do I, and, and no, I'm not saying be literally like, yeah, you got to work a regular job. No, but it's just think about it in terms of that for $70,000, look at what you're signing. You're giving up X percentage of, of you for $70,000 when you could have literally worked a regular job for two years and made the same amount of money and you still own everything. You don't owe anybody anything besides taxes, which you're going to pay taxes on that $70,000 and it's an advance and it's, you still have to recoup it. Well, that's a whole nother conversation that I, I don't even want to go into right now. So, you know, there's just some stuff to kind of keep in mind, man. Um, from there, you know, I just kind of was giving that advice about how labels feed off of the desperation of a starving artist. You know what I mean? Like the more desperate you are, the smaller that number will be. And if you don't believe it, that's with any field, whether you're doing music or anything, the more desperate you are, the more you need money. That's when labels and, and business owners and, corporations tend to say oh you really need this money and, and they can see it when they know that you really need something then they're gonna make that number as small as possible because hey you need money if i need five thousand dollars if i need a thousand dollars to pay my rent your interest rate is going to be stupid high if you go to these little small pay loan companies because they know you desperately need the money so they're pretty much feeding off of your desperation and that's what the same thing with music you know if if you're desperate and people can sense that you're desperate. They're going to throw small numbers at you with bad terms just because they know you desperately need the money. So that's just stuff to look out for. Number five is is kind of the, not necessarily the trickiest one, but I think it's the most innovative um, way to really book your show on the road. And, and it's going to take um, two things. It's going to take, um, definitely going to take money. Um, and it's going to take you humbling yourself. Um, and it's two things that, you know, I know those, they don't really go together too well, but it's, it's really going to take you humbling yourself and it's going to take having money. And number five is, um, fund a tour for an artist bigger than you. Um, and here's what I mean by that. If you're in a city, say for example, a city like Atlanta, right? There's a lot of, a lot of local talent. There's a lot of artists that are buzzing right now in the city. You know, find one of those artists that are already buzzing. And when I'm saying buzzing, let's say this is legitimate buzz. These are artists that, um, they're already doing shows out of town. So they don't necessarily need the help. But one thing that you have to understand is that everyone wants a dollar in their pocket and everybody wants an opportunity to do their own tour. So if you can... Foot the dime if you have the money to do this. Here's an idea that, that I'm going to give you, and you can take it and run with it. And I've shared this with a couple of people in close conversation, but I do want to share it for our audience here. It's, a, it's, it's not a hard process, but here's what you do. You find an artist that's bigger than you, that's already buzzing. You know, they, they already have a, 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 a nice... Um, fan base and say, and you know, you approach them and tell them like, Hey man, um, I love what you're doing out here. Um, I want to help fund your tour. All right. And so let's say, like I said, once again, this is going to take money. So we're talking about somebody that's already, you know, you have a couple of, you know, maybe a thousand, a couple of thousand dollars or whatever to really push toward this, but you know, it can really be done. So you tell that artist like, Hey man, I want to fund your tour. You know, let's do like a quick, um, you know, four to five city tour. You know, um, some small venues, nothing too crazy, you know, some, you know, 200, um, you know, seater 
um, venue, something like that. That's that's reasonably priced. So you tell this person like, hey, I want to fund your tour. Um, and that person, of course, is going to ask you some questions like, well, you know, what all does this come with? Well, tell tell them like, hey, I'll fund your tour. But here's what I want in return. It's your name. You can host it. It's your tour. I don't want any that. All I want to do is open up for you. Right. You can have your other artists that open up prior prior than that. But I just want to make sure that I'm performing on this show with you. So what that does, if you if you if you really go and get an artist that's buzzing in the city and you approach them with this business plan and tell them, like, hey, man, I'm going to fund your tour. You know, we can do this, you know, three to five city tour. We can go around the southeast or wherever you want to go. Um, all I ask in return is that you let me open up for you. Um and what does this really show? I mean, for one, it, it shows that artist that, hey, man, you're very serious about what you're doing. You're going to humble yourself to just open up for me and you're paying for my whole tour. You know, and theoretically, you know, somebody may sit here and, and say, like, well, why should I do that? If I can afford to pay for this person's whole tour, then shouldn't I just pay for my own tour myself and get out of there? You can absolutely do that. But here's the thing. You're an independent artist and a lot of artists don't, you know, a lot of people don't know you. You, you got to face those facts. So you can go out there and spend the same exact money and go out and do a, a tour on your own and you get out there and try to promote this tour with artists who don't know you and fans who don't know you and see how many people show up to your venue. But if you do that same, take that same, this is the humble part that I was talking about. If you humble yourself and get a bigger artist, an artist that's already buzzing and fund their tour, they already have a fan base. They can fill out these 200 seaters by themselves. They don't need you. But what they do need is money to fund the tour. So if you have the money to fund the tour and you're opening it up for them, what you're doing right now is you're performing in front of, you know, maybe 100 to 150 people. Everybody's not there until, you know, the, the big artists go on. But you're performing in front of 100 to 150 people every night. <laughs> And, you know, you're doing this, you know, this quick tour, you know, any, whatever your budget allows. If your budget allows an eight city tour, you're performing in front of 100 some people every night and you're funding this tour. And what you'll find happening, if you have everything together, you have your merch together and you have a dope show um, together. What you'll find is that you'll start to gain fans on these shows and everybody's going to ask you like, well, who is this guy opening up for such and such? Like, how did he open up for him? Like, so you the perception is everything, right? So if somebody's seeing you opening up for the artist that's, you know, let's say this is somebody that will possibly be on the double XL freshman cover or already on the double XL freshman cover, right? So if you're opening up for this artist, people are going to start saying, well, he has to be somebody if he's opening up for him. If he's good enough to be on, on the same bill as this artist, then he has to be somebody. So, or she has to be somebody. So let me start paying attention and people start to pay attention. And next thing you know, you've done a five city tour. You've reached a thousand people. And now 10% of those people, we're just talking about real numbers. So you got a hundred new fans and those hundred fans each bought, you know, a t-shirt and a CD. So now you're looking at, you've made, you know, you, you've made $30 off each person. That's three grand, you know, that you just made. And yeah, that may not seem like much, but you got to look at you made a $5,000 investment and we're just talking about numbers just to throw them out there. You made a 5,000 investment. You made 3,000 on merch. And so really you only spent 2 grand, but you got exposed to people that now, 
you, you know, you're exposed to a new market. You're actually going along with this thing. And guess what? That artist that you did that for is totally going to respect what you're doing. And the next go around, you might not even have to fund a tour. They might just say like, hey, man, come in, be on the road. We had some nice energy going, man. We did this thing. It really worked. Everything worked out well. I want you to come on tour with me again. Let's do it again. But this time I got somebody else footing the bill. Let's go and make it happen. And so you got to think now you do have to have a budget to do that, you know, and it doesn't have to be a very expensive budget, but if you have the money set aside and you, you truly believe in your craft and what you're doing, it's a tactic that can really work. And, and it's an authentic tactic because you, you know, you humbled yourself and say, man, I just want to open up for you. It's the same thing that would have happened if they would have came to your city and you would open up for them. The difference is you're on the road and the perception is nobody will know that you pay for that tour, especially if you continue to humble yourself and don't tell anybody. Nobody will know that you open up, you know, you you funded that tour. They, nobody will know. All they'll see is that you open up for this big artist and, you know, the tables will turn as you grow as an artist. You can kind of keep keep that model going, you know, as, as long as you have the funds to do so. And pretty soon you'll start seeing like, you know, real growth. Um, Grand Robbins was different. I mean, it's the country. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not the fastest place, you know what I'm saying? But I was able to take that style that I had picked up from Memphis and I was able to sit in and, and run a Robinson like you say, that's middle Georgia. So so I was able to sit in the in the middle and having that that influence, but I was able to open up for other influences like, you know, the Nas, the Biggies, you know what I'm saying? A lot of the New York stuff. And then I was able to get some stuff coming from Florida. So by being in by coming from from that small town, I was able to really just kind of be, just combine that city slick shit that I got from Memphis, and then I I kind of mixed that country with it. So to to me, that's you know that that kind of, it, I mean, it makes you you it makes you you unique, in a way, but it's also you know it's hard, especially when you're trying to break into a market, you know where it's kind of like. It's a circle of people. And if you're not from that tree, it's kind of hard to break into that market because people, uh, you know, they move and, you know, pe people move in clusters. Pe people tend to pull from the tree that they're from versus going to pull from another tree. That's, you know, to me, that's human nature. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's definitely hard, but, you know, it, it gives me my uniqueness, too. So, I mean, I take it. You know what I'm saying? I know I don't sound like all the rest of these niggas, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some that's it's crazy that you have to bring that up nowadays because there are so many people that sound alike on purpose. Right. You know what I mean? Like it used right. to be kind of like a thing where, you know, you might hit a certain pocket that another rapper hits on a regular basis, but it wasn't mm -hmm. on purpose. It was just kind of like the record kind of took you there. But right. now it's like there's no excuse for me to listen to <laughs> the radio and literally hear. Five of everything. Five, you're exactly. going to hear five Drakes. You're going to hear exactly. five Futures. Exactly. You're going to hear uh, who's ever hot. You're going to at least you're gonna hear at least five of those. Yeah. When 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 Jeezy and T.I. was the hottest in the city, it was five T.I.s, five mm -hmm. Jeezys. When Jigger was the hottest, it was five Jiggers. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't know, man. It, it's They say it in basketball. You know what I'm saying? Hip-hop, this is a copycat in, industry, man. Mm -hmm. I mean... That's what it is. You know, people hear something hot and they want to kind of copy it. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely, and that's another reason why, like I say, I like that uniqueness. Because it's hard to kind of copy, you know, the type of music that I do. Because it's not easily done. You know what I'm saying? It takes 
ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it's not like cookie cutter. When you making real country shit, you know what I'm saying, or country hip hop tunes or whatever you want to call them. I don't even like labels, really, to be honest with you. I prefer the term underground rap. I do like that label because you know I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a champion of the underdog. I'm a champion of the underground. So um, you just have to be unique when you um, trying to make this brand of music. I definitely think you you know so. But yeah, man, um, creativity, man, it's not like a lot of that out here. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man, I, I hear you completely. You know. A couple of things you were saying, man, um, you know, how you got your start. You say you started rapping around, like, what, third or fourth grade. Yeah. And you were just, you know, falling in the footsteps of your sister. Yeah. Um, like, how was that? You know what I'm saying? Like, because, like, there's no secret behind it. Like, I mean, rap, the history of rap, there, it's hard It's hard on, on women. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just the truth of the matter. You know what I mean? So, to grow up seeing your sister, who was, like, definitely in the culture, mm-hmm. like, uh, how was that for you, like, shaping you into being, you know, the rapper that you turned out to be? <laughs> man, my sister is like not the average girl, that's for sure. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Uh my sister was a beast. You know what I'm saying? Um she, and she still is a beast. You know, she don't rap anymore, but she still she's just one of those people that like if my sister was still spitting, like I I, I have never seen her with a pen and pad. That's the type of rapper that she is, you know what I'm saying? Before she, it was popular to be like oh. Before, yeah. This before this before you heard Biggie or Wheezy, like my my I never seen my sister with a pen and pad. This girl got a photographic memory. So me just coming up, you know what I'm saying? My brothers was in the streets. So, you know, my moms used to always be like, you know what I'm saying, just make sure you stay with your sisters. And I used to be like, damn, why I gotta be my sisters? That's cause my brother and them was just they was on some wild shit. So, you know, my sister, I was always with my sister, you know what I'm saying? Because my mom used to work, but my sister used to be rapping all the time, rapping. We going through records, all mm-hmm. kinds of records. Like, I don't care, it might have been Guns N' Roses, it could have been Lionel Richie, it could have been Public Enemy. Any record that had an instrumental, she was rapping over. So mm-hmm. I, I just used to just kind of rap with her, you know what I'm saying? And that's that's how I kind of fell in love with it. And, um, man, that was, I mean, it was a different era, man. It, it was definitely something dope. This probably, like... I'm thinking, I'm saying probably like 86, 87, 88, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it was a different um, era, and it was it was pretty dope. But then the 90s kind of brought, that was a whole nother thing, but that was, to me, that's the golden era of hip-hop, though. Yeah. yeah. You, you, I heard another rapper say, they said that the 2000s, that the 90s was overrated. That's bullshit. The 90s is not overrated. No, man. 90s hip-hop, 80s rock, 70s soul. Or golden errors in music. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and, and you know what? Right now, if people want to include that, what we're living in right now, in my opinion, is just a technology era. Mm-hmm. Like, we're in a technology era, which means that we can literally blend and fuse everything together. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are no boundaries now. Like, back then, all of those eras, like, in the 90s, hip-hop had to do what they had to do to stick out. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But, like, now... You, there's nobody telling you, and, and thankfully, people like you know Kanye. And I always attribute Kanye as being that that one that kind of blurred, blurred the lines for everybody because like him and Pharrell, those kind he of made type it of cool. Inter- he made it cool. He made yeah. it cool to come out and do like, and really, three thousand had made it cool too. I ain't gonna front yeah. like he he really 
made it where like you know what if i want to sing man i'm gonna sing i don't yeah. care like this is what i want to do but yeah. when it comes like musically like mm -hmm. blending all these genres together i really attribute that to, to kanye like being able to put rock and and soul and, and hip-hop edm all of those different you know vibes together and kind of make it where you know what do what you want to do yeah like i i'm i'm a i'm a pop artist i want everybody mm -hmm. to like my music not just one genre you know what i mean so exactly that's that's where we at right now which is that's a cool thing man but yeah like the 90s bro it's just man it's it's so much you know what yeah. I'm saying? it's so much and then at the time too if you really want to like champion the 90s as a golden era then i say look at it like this you had a time when the east was popping mm -hmm. the west was popping and the South was emerging. Yeah. And everybody existed. Yeah. <laughs> in the same playing field. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's not, it's not now. Like now, oh, you can go to New York, you can go to LA, you can go to the Detroit. Everything sounds like you're from the South right now. Right, because that's the, because they don't pick the easiest. Let me watch my word, because I'm definitely, uh, you know, South got something to say. That's like, you know, that's oh, my yeah. shit. But, uh, you just gotta be original, man. It's not cool. It's just not cool being from somewhere else sounding like you from Alabama. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's just not cool. Like, it's not cool. What the fuck? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if you're from Mount Vernon somewhere, sound like you're from Mount Vernon because that's your uniqueness. That's mm -hmm. why I'm going to listen to you. Yeah. Because I'm not from Mount Vernon, and I want to know what's going on in mm -hmm. you know what I mean in Mount Vernon. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like the reporter of where you're from. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So, man, but you know what? I honestly think, man, it's the powers that be that run this shit. We oh, talk yeah. about music all the time. And I, I, you know, niggas get mad at me because I always cut the conversation short and say, you know what? The reason why we sit and we talk about what it could be is because as long as we don't own it, mm. and I'm talking about packaging, distribution, mm -hmm. Marketing, you know what I mean? Web streaming sites. Shout out to Jay Z for title. That's mm -hmm. the shit I'm talking about. Until we get mo until we get twenty five Jay Z's owning twenty five different record companies and streaming companies and things like that, it's never gonna change. Mm -hmm. It's never going to change because as long as they own and operate it, they're going to manipulate it to meet their agenda. You know what I'm saying? So they're going to always do the easiest thing because they don't truly un un understand what we're creating. So they can only go by what they hear. If this particular artist has a Southern sound and it's a number one hit, their mentality is let's copy that and make as many uh, of that as we can so we can capitalize off of the buzz so we can make a profit. You know what I'm saying? That's like Jordans. You know what I'm saying? A hot pair of shoes, you want to make, you know, as many as you can. You know what I'm saying? But the thing is, is that it's music, man. Music is not the greats, the legends. It's not a cookie cutter type thing. So it's like we need to control it. Because if you look at the labels, like, okay, you take a rock, a rock na nation. That's a dope label because if you look at artists like J. Cole and you look at artists like Hove and I think they just got, what's this new dude, Vic uh, Menzel? Mensa, yeah. Like those artists, those are some dope artists. But look who's running the label. You know what I'm saying? And and if you wonder why J. Cole can come out and be so creative and so free and, and it can be so or organic 
again, look who's running it. You know what I'm saying? But when you compare that to, let's say, I'm not, when you compare that to another artist, you know what I'm saying, that's not on a label like that, you, you know, you know, you're probably going to get a lot of bullshit because them folks just trying to make money, man. They ain't trying to, um, they, you know, they ain't trying to move this shit forward. The folks trying to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Now, they ain't trying to move it forward. They're it's, not in the business of maintaining the culture. They're in the business of getting paid. Getting paid. Yeah, absolutely, man. We had this conversation on the Good Hennessy show a couple of weeks ago where we were just talking about that that same subject, man. Like, until you own, you know, until you own it, mm-hmm. then you got to do what, what the powers that be say do. Like, you wonder to. why you have those artists that, like, man, that never really break. You know what I'm saying? It's like they they own the major labels. They out there doing what they want to do, but they never really get past that certain level. And it's because, man, you know what? When you sign that dotted line and they got your career in their hand, then they're going to want you to do what they want you to do. They're going to tell you, like, look, you know what? We know why we signed you, but this is what's hot right now. So we need you to go and hook up with them so we can guarantee that this is going to sell. Right. So we can make Mm -hmm. money. It it comes down to money. That's why, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a fan of the 360. Right. But I understand it. I, I understand totally it understand it. It's business. Yeah, it's that's all it is. It's business. Like as a record label owner, why wouldn't I sign you to a three sixty? We're not selling records anymore. Right. Anything <laughs> else is really yeah. It's dumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of in terms of business, you know what I'm saying? That's why we got on our own shit. That's and, and we can sign ourselves to three sixty deals. When I have these conversations, right? What you just said right. is the key that I want everybody to take away from everything. It's like. You created yourself, and then you assign your own self. Right. Like that's the thing. Like you, you sign that three sixty deal. Why? Because you feel like it's gonna give you an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I absolutely, I understand that because a hundred percent of zero is still zero. Right. I get it. But man, let me tell you, bro. Like you got to look long term. Do you want to just get in your foot in the door and end up these people owning you for the next fifteen years? Like it ain't worth fifteen right. years to me. Like and I can, I can. Hustle they can for kill your time. career. Absolutely. All you they gotta I mean? do is say, like, oh. We ain't going to push the button on him. Right. And that's what that's the part that people don't think about. People only look at it like, man, I get the opportunity. Once I get the opportunity, I can go. You know what I'm saying? But right. what happens when you walk in that building and the person that signed you get fired? Right. Now, you stuck at the building with some people who really didn't want you there in the first place. The person that rolled for you, he got fired. He gone. He gone. Now, you just in that building signed to a bad contract. But you thought, like, man, I just need the opportunity. Now, your album sitting on the shelf. What do you do in that situation? And your album is dope as fuck, and it's sitting on the shelf. Yeah, because if people don't know about it, then it's not going to sell. Exactly. So it's like, what do you do at that point? And those are the questions that I think people, they don't think about that. They only look at like, man, I just need to get this deal so I can can get popping. It's like, dude, that same deal, you really could have worked five more years and made way more money, but you didn't want to put in the work. You didn't want to put in the work. You know, and that that really brings me to your project, man, Oh, to the Underground, right? So you released this project. It's been like, what, Probably about three, three, months, three four months three ago. Three or four months. Yep. And so the whole vibe of this, and I actually, man, I went down to, um, it was a festival in Birmingham, um, oh. Secret Stages. Mm-hmm. And so I rode, you know, from Atlanta to Birmingham. That's what I was riding to, me and my little brother, actually. Um, and, you know, we would listen to your project the whole ride. And it was like, my little brother, man, my brother is 22. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that he can say is like, man, this thing, because he got a system in his car. We rode in his car, too. So he was like, man, this thing right here, this this right here just make me feel make me feel like I need to turn the volume up just a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Right. Riding down the highway. With, and, and for me, 
when I when I listened to it, I automatically connected to that same time, man. Like when I had the system in the car and I spent all, you know, not all my money, but I saved up all my money to get the right system in my car because I wanted mm -hmm. everything. And so all my homeboys already had their system. Mm -hmm. I had to piece mine together. But that's the feeling it gave me. It, mm -hmm. it was that like you want to, you just want to sit in the parking lot and turn your volume up and just I say, who's going to ride back? That's, that's yeah. what it is. So talk, you know, walk us through the project, man. Tell us like, you know, the, the vibe behind it and why you chose the title and things of that nature. Um, First of all, man, I think you kind of hit it on the head, man. I just... My whole thing is that I, I definitely got a message. I definitely want to portray a message. I definitely want to be conscious. I definitely want to do all the things that a man uh, using his art should do. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I want it to be free. I want it to be organic. You know what I'm saying? I don't want it to be like weighted down. And this project was just about creating different feelings. You know what I'm saying? And I knew if I could create different feelings that I knew those messages uh, and, and some of the things that I'm trying to articulate on there will come across. So really, man, um, it was just one of the things, man, that I kind of wanted to reintroduce myself because I had been with a group, uh, you know, the group called the Mighty Network, and I had been with the network probably for for, for like the last uh, three, four, five years. So I really just wanted to reintroduce myself, you know, to, as an underground artist. So... I started from the basics. I wanted this album to really just be about the basics, man. You know what I'm saying? To be about the beat, the lyrics, come together like a peanut butter sandwich. Mm. So every track, I had to be able, I had to feel that every track was just cohesively together, not apart. It wasn't like, oh, this is this big, big beat, and he's over here. I just wanted everything to just come to come to come come together. So that's really what the basis of the project was. And I wanted to bring that bump back, like what you were saying, man. I wanted to bring that feeling back of like, damn, this shit bumping. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you ain't even focusing on one thing in particular. It's just your first thing is, man, this is bumping. Yeah. And it's the feeling of what I like with music. That's why everything is with, with me. It's about a flow. It's about a feeling. It's just about a feeling, man. I can't even, I can't say that enough. I just want to make you feel a certain way. If I'm talking about some real shit, I want to put you in the mood. Well, well, you want to go get a glass of yak and sit in the living room and just think about, like, I got some shit going on with my life. I need to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? But then again, I want to put you in the mood where if you with a, you know, you with a female friend, you know what I mean? You want to kick back and chill. You, This is the theme song for that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I basically want to create not a song, but I want to create a theme song for every pretty much for all kinds of feelings. You know what I'm saying? So I just use myself as the uh, crash dummy, I say. So, like, if I feel, if it's a sunny day and I'm feeling good and I feel like going out riding, I put that ride like my uncle on. Mm -hmm. And that's like my theme song for that day. You know what I'm saying? If I'm going through some shit, then I put that running on. And that's my theme song that's going to help me get 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 through. If I If I'm rowdy, you know what I'm saying? And I, if I feel like it's a bunch of biters out here, I feel like the industry should be way more, uh, uh, way more versatile, way more original. Then I put that lead that country shit to us on that stop biting record. You know what I'm saying? I put that record on because that's the theme song. So I'm, I, I, I just like making a bunch of theme, theme songs for a bunch of different emotions. Hey, um, I hope you're enjoying uh, the best of 2015 episode of the Straight Out the Damn podcast. Um, before I go into that, that what you just heard was a conversation with Red Coat the Poet, a dope 
MC um, out of middle Georgia, Warner Robinson, be exact. He's now here in um, Atlanta. The crazy thing, I do want to share this quick little story. Um, earlier, while I was editing this podcast, right when I got to pulling up his audio, he gave me a phone call. And uh, we, we talked about a few things. It was it was just such a uh, one of those like uh, God moments, you know, and just like, oh, man, like what happened here? Like, how did this dude happen to call me like this thing? But um, he called me. We talked about some phenomenal things that we have planned for 2016, uh, some plans that he had. And um, he, he's definitely one of those artists to be on the lookout for. Um, just just a good spirited person, man, and, and you know a genuine person, and and I love his music too. So that's always you know an added bonus. But um, before I get into the uh, next part of the conversation. Um, I did want to tell you guys a little bit about Lander. Um, based in Montreal, Canada, Lander is the world's first intelligent drag and drop instant mastering service by Mixed Genius. So, you know, just for being a listener to today's podcast, um, we're going to do something special for you. You guys can go right now, click on the link um, that's in the show notes, or you can go to Lander.com. That's L-A-N-D-R.com slash promo slash S-O-D-D. You go there, you're going to get a free trial. It's two free MP3s of your master. Um, it's a very simple process. All you have to do is is literally um, upload your, your mix to their website, and from there, it's going to take a few minutes depending on your internet connection, and you're going to be able to download your mastered version, um, an MP3 um, of your master. It's, it's very simple, man, and it's one of those things where I can almost guarantee after you use the free trial, you're going to want to go ahead and just like get the real service. Like I've had it, I've used it for quite some time now, and it's one of the best investments that I could have made. So uh, definitely check them out. Once again, it's lander.com. That's L-A-N-D-R.com slash promo slash S-O-D-D. All right. Um, so before uh, we get into this uh Last portion um, is about another 57, almost close to an hour um, left in this thing here. Um, I do want to tell you about the next artist that we're going to talk about. His name is Drake London. Um, we pulled some audio here of him um, just talking about how he, he managed to network and, and the importance of building relationships and being an artist out of Raleigh and, you know, what's moving in Raleigh. And, and one thing that, that I missed the first time around, I actually caught it when I was listening. Um, he mentioned an artist by the name of King Mez in, in this conversation, just very briefly. Um, but it's crazy, but, you know, King Mez was the artist that he worked with uh, on Dr. Dre's Compton album, had a lot of involvement on that project. And uh, even though he doesn't really give us any insight on what happened, it, it did make me go back and do some research. And I found out that Drake London and, and Miz worked a lot together. You know, they, they have a couple of records together. So uh, it's, it's one of those things. Just I say all that to say that, hey, you never know who you're, you're, you're next to and you never know who you're talking with. And, and you just, you know, keep putting in the work because he has a relationship with an artist that has a relationship with Dr. Dre. So he's literally one degree separation from Dr. Dre. And I know that may not mean a lot to you, but being how Dr. Dre is such a influence on my career and how I do things musically and just business wise, it's, it's amazing to me that just how close we, we really are, how small the world really is, you know, when you truly go out and network. So, um, you know, definitely enjoy this conversation. We do have Drake London. Uh, we've got the homie Odell Simmons um, coming up. Earth Gang, uh, JB, Devance, Marius Garland. Um, we still got, have a lot of conversations coming up. So, you know, definitely enjoy the uh, the end of this um, Best of 2015 uh, episode here. Uh, and once again, thanks for rocking with us, man. Um, 
definitely subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes if you haven't done so already. You know, the the, the hip-hop scene in Raleigh, like, of course we know Jamla um, and some of the names that you mentioned, man, but, like, prior to them, what was it really like, you know what I mean, growing up in North Carolina? Uh, it's, it's weird. It's a mixing bowl, man. Like, I don't feel like North Carolina really has its sound, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So it's just a bunch of us with different views and different opinions and different types of making music all yeah. trying to come up, so it's a little hard. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's um. I think it's like that in a lot of places, but nobody from there like really pop pop. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So it's kind of like the kind of for the pinpoint. I mean, of course you got like J Cole now Fayetteville, um, and what's it? Petey Pablo. What he was? You from? got Petey Pablo. You got Rain. It's a lot. It's a lot of cats yeah. from North Carolina. That's really like just North Carolina. But yeah, what about yeah. Raleigh specifically? Raleigh. Yeah, <laughs> John at you. Wall, he ball, but yeah, you know what I'm, I'm looking at you. And, and like, then you got you know little brother. They came from like the Raleigh okay, Durham area. Okay, so. okay, okay. Because I, I was going to ask, and it was kind of like you had that look on your oh, face. And, and Mez is from Raleigh too. Mez, okay. like Mez is uh, he's on the verge. He's he's from South Raleigh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was looking at you. Was like, man, I want to say like I'm I'm really the one that's trying <laughs> to do it, but you was trying to be humble. I, I can yeah. respect it. I can respect <laughs> that. But. Um, you know, just just being in a city, like I don't think I've ever been to Raleigh, bro. Like Raleigh's a cool place, man. It's getting better. I give it like another two years. Another two years. It's gonna be the spot, yeah. Got you, got you, man. It's like the music, it, the music that I'm hearing you do specifically. You know what I mean? It's just like it's a lot of storytelling that's going on mm-hmm. in your music, and even up to this point, like I was telling you before we started recording, like this new project. Um, the um, song that the laid back, I can't. I, I was literally playing it right before you walked in. That's um, crazy. Like my wife always wanted to know like who I'm interviewing, so she'll ask me a question like, "Well, what that music sound like?" You know. Mm-hmm. So I was playing a, playing her a couple of records, and she, I mean, of course, she liked the record um, from the project. But it's um, you know, it's this journey in music that I want to get to, and I, I really want to talk to you about like the networking aspect. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I think it's something that's, and this is just my personal opinion, but I think when it comes to networking, a lot of people either, either it's a situation where they don't think they need to do it or they just forget to do it. You know, no, you I mean? have to network. That's the most important part. What, like, saying with that being said, like what 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 has been like the best form of networking for you as opposed to like getting your music out there to the people and really speaking to these people directly. Like, taking trips like this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I knew you from the internet for two years. Yeah. Yeah. But I finally made that step to come see you in person. Yeah. So it's going to build a better relationship. You know what I'm saying? Whenever yeah. I'm here. So that's 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 what I do. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm like, I like to see these people directly and, like, really talk to them. And anybody who purchases music or anything, I just want to, I, I directly want to tell them thank you. Like, you know, just staying that's, connected with the people. I, I love hearing that, man. And especially now, like, being an independent artist, you have that sense of control mm-hmm. because you can actually see exactly who bought your music yes. you know what I mean and you can go out and, and connect with those people and I think that's something that's very important it, the most important thing is actually doing the, the homework to get that mm-hmm. type of data you know what I mean um, it was something that have you heard of Insane Clown Posse I've heard like of from, him yeah, from, yeah, yeah. I think they're from like outside of the yeah show. I heard of them yeah yeah but I, I was looking at an interview man and something that they did was so dope was like um they they put out this thing like they put out a new album and they said if you buy our album and you stay within like metro detroit area or or, st- or maybe michigan mm-hmm. we'll hand deliver our album to you so everybody that bought the album like they made a road trip out of it and then they did spot dates or whatever but they would physically knock on that person's door and, and hand them the album and deliver them the album that's and amazing. it was like man that's such a genius thing because that person's going to see that they that's like one of them those um 
creating memorable moments. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like just you grow with them too, man. You, you know, like absolutely. you never forget that. Do like, you have do you have that that person like a fan like that that you know that's kind of been with you from like from the jump? I got a few supporters, man. <laughs> I got I got I got a few supporters. They're amazing too, man. I got I can probably hand out a few of them. Like so, okay, I, I want to ask you a real question. Let's do it. What was that moment like when you realized that I'm important to some to some people, like music wise? You said when was the moment? Like what was that? What did that moment feel like? I don't know. It still freaks me out to this day, man. I've man, I've had people tell me how I touched their lives, how I changed them. I had a girl cry. Like I had some like cool stuff, and it just sets me back because it's it's really hard for me to accept. Well, it's hard for me to really understand how I'm really like telling my flaws like everything yeah. that i'm you know i'm going through like and people are relating to it it's pretty it's, it's cool and weird at the same time yeah. so it kind of i'm still at that point where i'm trying to like adjust and and i'm also like too humble people tell me so i just be like oh thank you man yeah you know i'm working hard man <laughs> no i i feel you man that's that's um that's a question that i that i like to ask people man just really just because you know i want to see the reaction but, mm -hmm. but on top of that I think for a lot of people, it's, it's something that, you know, there are a lot of people that say they want to be stars, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there is also a lot of people that don't understand the the responsibility when you become a star. Like, you literally are like a lifeline to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This microphone is, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough job being behind a microphone, you know? And um, when you connect with people, like you said, telling the truth, telling your story, telling like the experiences of people around you, people hear that and they they feel it. You know? Yeah, they can relate like, in some they, way. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Um was there a time in your music where you you had a hard time doing that? I, I, I honestly didn't start getting personal to Peyton and Camp. Really? You know what I'm saying? I was I was scared to. Yeah. What what why that fear? I don't know. I just I don't I didn't I wasn't comfortable myself to let it out. And I didn't I wasn't sure how people would accept it. I didn't know if they would take it as me complaining. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or whining. But when I was bragging, that didn't work neither. So <laughs> I had to get to a point where I was like, all right, I'm just I'm just be honest. And so uh, what what was that? I guess that that um, defining moment, man. Like when you're like, okay, I'm braggadocious on on all these rhymes, and I'm talking about. I'm assuming that because I didn't, you know, I didn't listen to the earlier music, mm -hmm. but I'm assuming it was like pretty much the same thing everybody else was. Yeah, rapping it's, about. no, it wasn't really the same thing. But all it really was was what I was doing at the time, like just skateboarding and girls and sneakers. Okay, okay. Like nobody really wants. Nope. At some point, that'd be like, all right, Drake, yeah, you dope, man. But yeah. like, you know, <laughs> give me something I can I can relate to. And once I realized that. And I really like changed the way I write and changed the way I view music and my beat selection. Mm. Things picked up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. it's all about people. Pe I know for myself, people want to hear honesty and truth, and people want to relate. So now I got I got more of your dope tech. I got less of your dope text, and I got more. Yo, you touched me. You changed my life. One thing that artists are truly making money on is live shows and merch. Well. If you can make your live show one of the best live shows possible, then you're going to be remembered, right? And if you're remembered, then you're going to get more calls. And if you get more calls, that means that's more cash flow um, coming in for you. So that's that's one huge advantage. Having a DJ, it makes your live show looks great, especially if you have a DJ where you guys are actually practicing. You're going back and forth. You're figuring out, you know, what works best for for me what works best for you you know what kind of cues are we going to use to know when you should stop the music or when you should um let the music play a little bit longer or when we should go to the next song you know um you can't kind of play off of your audience if you have a good dj a good dj will know that 
hey, the audience is not into this record, man. We may need to move on. Well, let's work on a transition to move on where it seems seamlessly uh, moving on as opposed to an abrupt uh, stop. And now you have people looking like, well, what, hey, what's going on? So all of those things really help out with having a DJ on your team. Um, number two, and believe it or not, DJs still break records. Um, so just follow me for a second, right? Think about it. If you have a DJ that's been on your team for, I don't know, maybe, you know, two or three years, they've been your, your tour DJ. Um, you guys have been doing hole in the wall clubs. You've, you've worked your way up to doing, um, you know, some nice 200 to 300, um, size, um, venue. And, you know, that DJ starts to get some serious notoriety um, in wherever you are. And maybe that DJ is starting to get picked up to where he's working clubs now. Well, guess what? If you have a DJ that you have a great rapport with, he's your your show DJ and your tour DJ, then I can almost guarantee that he'll find a way to work your record into a mix in a new crowd. So what's happening there is like your music is getting played in multiple outlets. Your music will be played in every place that that DJ is at. Um, one of the DJs that, that I work closely with, uh, DJ Five Me Up, he, he's the, the house DJ at uh, PAG Lounge um, that we do a show there uh, twice a month, you know, every other Saturday. Well, you know, he, he gets gigs outside of PAG. And the one thing that he does is these artists that come and show up there, he like the music, he'll ask for the music and he's playing it at his other sets. You know, he's playing it at those clubs. He's playing it even when they're not performing because he's he's out there. He, he knows the job of a DJ. The DJ truly is to break records. That's the whole point of a DJ. Really, you want to move the crowd and you want to break new records in the process. If you can figure out that formula, you'll be around for a long time. So, you know, he's going out playing these new records. He's, you know, he, he's figuring out a way to entertain you and play maybe some Drake in future, but I'll, I'll you know, throw in some Fleetwood Fred in there. And, and you're kind of like, man, you know, What's this Fleetwood guy? What what's this record? And now you have he's generating interest now um, from the records that's playing. His buzz is building up, and guess who else buzz is building up at the same time? U.S. the artist. Um, you know he's gonna go out and and talk about those records. DJs have DJ friends. <laughs> it's just it is what it is. So that DJ is gonna go out. He's gonna tell you you know his friend about oh man this is the new record I'm spinning here. Check this record out here. Or this one here is getting a nice reaction in a club. This one is getting a nice reaction at house parties or, you know, here or there. You know, DJs talk with each other like that. They they want to know what's hot. If you have something that's hot, then guess what? Me as a, a competitive DJ, I want what's hot too. So we're going to go back and forth. We're going to talk about it. And if you have a DJ that already has a rapport with that you have a rapport with already, then he's going to start mentioning your names in conversations. And so that one conversation, now your music is in the hand of, you know, another DJ who's going to go and have a conversation with another DJ. And even if he doesn't, he's going to go and play that music in another venue. And now you've reached a whole nother audience because this DJ over here is playing your music and taking it there. And, and it's just a, a, you know, a rinse and repeat type thing. Next thing you know, there is about, you know, 10 DJs around the city that has your music and your music is playing in, in all these different venues. You know, I have to take a big, big credit, uh, a lot of props uh, to my brother, Jay Force, uh, who I do radio with and I also work with uh, on the site. Uh, also, um, my brother, Twice Born as well. And, uh, you know, they're not my physical brothers, man, but they, they really are like my big brothers. 
And so, you know, Jay has been in the game for over like 25 years doing radio mm. and very professional. You got a chance to meet Jay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, very professional, knows what he's going to do. Uh, just, you know, when that mic turns on, he's, he, he's just a different animal. Yeah. Uh, and so what happened was with myself, uh, I've just been a lover of hip hop. And I've been in Atlanta going on 11 years now. Okay. okay. Got, got here in like an 04 and... It's funny, I you know, the Beats and Lyrics show, which is I'm a part of and which Jay is a part of, and that's how I got on my start. A friend of mine kind of told me about it, like, yo, man, he was like, yo, you should need to go at the Beats and Lyrics show. You need to go holla at J-Force. Mm-hmm. And so my friend, uh, shout out to Omega Black. Omega Black's an interesting brother, good brother. Very interesting, though. And so I was like, Omega, you know, at the time, I don't, I don't even know where the yeah. station was. He was like, just go by there. And I was like, I'm not going to just go by a radio station. <laughs> And asked to speak with somebody and just walk on the show. He was like, listen, tell me you know me. And it's go by. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, you sound crazy. But anyway, um, the funny thing about it, like a couple of weeks later, I was at a show, uh, I think a Black August show, mm-hmm. a Black August show, and Smith & Wesson performed. Okay, okay. And I was chopping it up. And after the show, I was with my homeboy, DJ Knotts. And DJ Knotts was like, yo, I'm going to go over and speak to J-Force real quick. And I said, J-Force? I said, let me go. I said, introduce me. I would like to yeah. meet this brother. He's like, sure. And so I, I go to meet Jay. And I don't know what it is about uh, myself. But somebody, it seemed like eight out of ten times, people have always said, like, I feel like I've met you before. Yeah. Your face is like recognizable or something. I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> but people <laughs> always just kind of say, I feel like I've seen you before. And, yeah. and, and Jay kind of said that. And I was like, well, maybe you see me out. And I was like, hey, I heard you at the Beats and Lyrics show. And I said, I would like to just come by. He said, hey, listen, you know, come by the studio. At the time, we were on WRFG 89.3. Mm-hmm. He said, just come by the studio. And I was like, seriously? So yeah, just, just come by the studio one night, Saturday night, hang out. And so uh, the point I'm getting to is that I would go to the show and just hang out, hang out, and never get on the mic. I would just, mm-hmm. just hang out, man. I mean, just seeing guests come through, local guests, uh, other kind of people, national people. And, but the thing is, it kind of speaks to what we always talk about. Like when you see something that you want to do, you have to start preparing for it right now. Like you're already doing it. Mm. And so at the time, uh, the brother Montez would do the news segments. And so Montez, uh, you know, his family life to start, get, you know, become more family life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, as we get older, we have, you know, we marry with kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His family life just became more and more and more family life. And so I would start to, uh, a, week, a couple of weeks before, I would start to prepare a new segment. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just on the off chance, right? Yeah, Our, yeah. And my thing was really, I was going like, hey, you know, Montez, maybe you thought about this one or you want to punch this in. And I mm-hmm. just was always doing that. And a night finally came. A night came where I got to the studio. And so normally it would be myself, it'd be J-Force, and it would be uh, Montez and Twice Born. Okay. So I get to the studio, and, you know, Jay's always there. And I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting in the very back like I always do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm waiting, you know, no Montez. And then, uh, you know, no, no Twice Born. And all of a sudden, Jay's like, oh, man, Twice not coming. I said, like, oh, okay. And he's like, man, he's, I just got to call. Montez not coming. I'm like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And so, mind you, the show's about to start, and I'm sitting in the very, like, there's, there's the, the, the chairs for the guests, and I'm yeah. in the back, just sitting there. And Jay was like, what are you doing? He was like, it's just us. He's like, come up here, man. Yeah. And so, I come up there, and he was like, get on the mic. And I was just like, ah, just all out of it. This sounded horrible, man. Yeah. And um, it was thankful, because Jay was like, okay, you know, you know, next night, he's like, this, this, and that, and everything. And then, 
I just kept coming and I just kept having the new segments. And next thing I know, man, I look up, I was just part of the show, <laughs> you know? And I think really where it really got me was where like Jay set me down one day and he was like, Odell, he said, listen, um, I like what you're doing. He was just like, you know, but you got to find your way. Mm-hmm. Now he said, now you're a laid back brother in a sense and your voice and stuff. He said, but you got to remember our show is a hip hop show on Saturday nights. He's like, so sometimes you got to give more energy. Mm-hmm. And he was just teaching me different things. He was like, so you tell these stories, you know, he's like, don't, don't try to be different than what you are. He's like, but you're going to have to, we can't put people to sleep on a Saturday night. Yeah. 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 On the FM dial. And so I think that's when it hit me. I was like, okay. I can't do this. What I would do is create what's called a media day event. Um, now, this year, it is kind of tricky. Um, number one, you don't have all of those relationships, but it, sometimes it's not about having um, a, a, a volume, um, you know, a large quantity of people at the media day event. What you want to do is first start out with those people, those blogs that have already supported you. Um, and so if this, you know, this could be a handful of blocks, maybe like four or five, but if they've ever posted your music, you want to make sure that you're going to start with them first on when you compile this list. Next up, you should go for those, um, everything local is what I'm talking about here. So go for those local sites, um, that, you know, may haven't supported your work, but you know of them, you know, so you want to reach out to them. Um, and and next you want to reach out to all of the, uh, local, uh, TV um, stations, um, you know, and everything is catered toward whatever your genre of music is, of course. Um, but reach out to those media outlets. You want to reach out to, um, podcasts, anybody that is anybody, um, who you feel. So it may take you some time to get this list and you may have to do some serious research, but when you're dealing with no budget, um, you have to do a lot of the work yourself. So, um, compile that list, you know, make sure you have a strong, maybe 50, um, names. If you're in a a big media outlet like Atlanta, trust me, there is way more than enough names that you can, uh, go after. So I don't care if they have a small blog, if they just started two weeks ago, um, if they started, you know, they've been in the game for six years. Um, if they're local and they're around you, you want to compile that list and make sure that they're on that list. Um, so just think about that. It's called a media day event, right? And, and, and you're going to treat it almost like a listening party. The only difference is you're, you're inviting media out to the event and you're going to do some, a few other things that are a little bit creative. So like I said, compile that list of local media outlets, blogs, TV shows, um, online shows, networks, etc. Anybody that's, that you feel is doing something that can bring something to the table. Now, remember, you are new. Um, you're trying to create a buzz. So at this point in time in your career, any type of exposure will be good exposure for you. Um, you want to make sure that you craft that email um, to invite people. And make sure you list some type of incentive in, inside of that email. And, and I stress the word incentive. Um, you, you have to remember, most of these media outlets... Um, may have never heard of you or haven't supported your music. So you got to give some type of incentive for them to get there. Um, It's one of the most important things that you can craft, um, do while crafting that email. Uh, So you got to do whatever your budget allows you to do. You know, Um, I would always stress in that email that you're going to be allowing them to have exclusive content um, because anybody that's running a site knows that exclusive content is king. Um, You just got to think about it. If 30 blogs post your single, it's not really a benefit for them. 
if one blogs per, per, premiere your single, then that's mutually beneficial because they're premiering the single. Um, they're going to more than likely have the, the song up for at least a couple hours before anybody else. Um, that means that traffic will be uh, driven to their site initially, um, which, you know, that's a heavy incentive for them because they're, they're getting the initial traffic for the record. And of course, you're going to be promoting that link and things of that nature, whatever you guys decide to work out. Um Exclusive content is king, definitely king. Um, the other thing is you can tell them, hey, it's going to be one-on-one interviews. You got to make sure that you set out time. So if you're going to have a three-hour event, you got to make sure that you tell people like, hey, if you are SVP, and um, we're going to be conducting interviews for um, about seven to nine p.m. or whatever time you. I'm just using that time slot as an um, example. But if you tell them like, hey, we're conducting interviews for two hours, um, we're only conducting interviews for the first 30 people um, that accept the invite or whatever, you know, so make sure you RSVP to, to, to get interviews. That's going to create a sense of urgency. They're going to go ahead and try to uh, get in as soon as possible so they can get that creative um, exclusive content. Um, and and it looks a little more favorable because you're you're telling them like hey number one there's going to be other media outlets there so it's going to be competition but if you want i'm telling you you can have that that exclusive interview you just need to let me know early so we can set out a time for you and uh, once you have that you, you can kind of decide what you want to do and play it by ear if you have five people that say they want to interview then you know that you have time to do uh, maybe 20 minute interviews um for those five people, that's going to put you right at about, uh, I can't do the math, 100 minutes. So a little bit over an hour, hour and 40 minutes, basically, of your time. That's what you're going to have. Um, and, and that's cool. You can definitely work with that. Um, if you get bored, you can condense the time of the interview. But uh, you want to keep all of that stuff in mind because you're doing that work on your own. So you got to know all those factors. Um, other incentives that you can have are like goodie bags. You definitely got to have some food there. You may even have to have some alcohol there. You got to get something that's going to get the media people there a little bit loose and a little more open to write honestly on you and um, to, to take as many pictures, social media, all of that. All of those things are, are important. Uh, while they're there, encourage people to do, use hashtags, um, encourage people to tag you in photos, tell them you're going to add them back. Make sure you build a solid relationship with them then because anything that they do from that point on, you have exclusive um, contact with them. You can always send them things first. So make sure you use that media day as a way to truly, truly um, engage with the media and, and know and let them know that they're important because without them, your music is not getting out there to the people. So you want to make sure that you're engaging with the media and do that as much as possible um, to create this event. So once you have that list compiled, you have them there in the building, you're conducting these interviews and you have people you're just is that's all the media day is. You're you're literally introducing yourself to the media. Treat it like that. Humble yourself and, and make it seem like they don't know you. Introduce yourself to them. And um, present it in a way to where they're, they're happy to see you um, and, and you're there for each other. So once you get that out the way, guess what? They're going to take the content that they took there. If you give them good content, they're going to go and run with it. They're going to create um, extravagant headlines. They're going to talk about your project. They're going to talk about you, your personality. Um, and they're going to put that out to their people. So now you don't have to worry about emailing them. Um, you're single. Now they have interviews and, and their questions already answered. And they're going to go out and send that to different people. They're going to go out and write their own story, uh, take their own pictures, and they're going to put all that stuff up. And now they have creative um, and, and uh, exclusive content for their viewers. And now you don't have to worry about actually going out trying to 
run them down to post your single or post your video. Now they already have it. And guess what? When you email them a second time about putting up a video, now they have something else to go on. Now they don't have to just post your video and talk about, you know, give a brief description of the video, whatever you send in the email. Now they can actually go back to the time when they interacted with you and bring up that piece and have people go back to that and, you know, add the video. And there's more things to it now. Now they, they can really truly speak from a, a genuine place as opposed to just, you know, copying your press release. That whole thing, one thing, I, that could have got anybody's statement. It's just very flattering. I appreciate you saying that. I don't know if that's true. That might be kind of true. <laughs> we just, like, we kind of be in our own world so much, bro. Yeah. We, we can never really tell if people like us or not. We just kind of <laughs> hope it's all good every time we go out. Yeah. It's always how it be, bro. That's like, a good we, way to be. We, some, time. we, we some very, we be very, loose, we very headphones. I'm mouth. very, like, yeah. headphone savvy. Like, that's pretty much the world is here mm -hmm. and here. And like, you know what I'm saying? So I don't even, we never even can really tell if shit is good enough. So that's dope. But even beyond that, working with Matt was so organic, bro. It wasn't even like a thing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like How did that come about? Uh, man, we was in his garage, Yeah, man. we was in like, L.A. He was just chilling in his I garage. First time in L.A., yeah, we started kicking with equipment up. He had, like, hella, you know what I'm saying, guitars and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. our manager and him, you know what I'm saying, go back. Like, our manager's a good dude, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he very, very did a lot of good things there. for a lot of people, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So, like, so the people show us love, you know what I'm saying? They reciprocated. So, all we wanted was the opportunity to meet, you know what I'm saying? We weren't even trying to go out there and bang out no record, bang yeah, out this. Yeah. Like, man, we just get a chance to leave L.A. Cause we was out there for business anyway. Mm -hmm. Head out to Malibu. Do some shit that we don't yeah. see on TV. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was my first so I'm time like, hey, we out yeah. here, nah, yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah. We just cooling it, just yeah. kicking it with Matt, you know what I'm saying? Enjoying the shit. And then over a period of time, like a couple of days and stuff, we just came out there and was kicking it and was just creating, you know what I'm saying? On the spot, we just, the, the, the spirit just came. Yeah, no, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a talented dude. Yeah. He's talented. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't even, I ain't saying that on no, on no. I don't know industry shit like that, like bro, talent. Yeah, yeah, he, he's definitely talented, talent, and, and he can read the talent of other people, yeah, which is a talent. Man, so, that's why I appreciate like I, as equally as his talent is his work ethic, man, because that's the only way you you get better when you're talented. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? That's absolutely. the only way you get better. You can get better by remaining talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all both mentioned like first time being in L.A. and it's a record on um, on shallow. Um, Toys for great. I don't know. Oh, what that's that um, shallow grade. That's that shallow grade. Um, that's sixteen what, albinos. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, I've like never been to L.A. Yeah, man. It's like you know, it's like full circle. Like yeah. the, to never go to L.A. and then like next thing you know, you in L.A. and you work with yeah. Matt Miller. It's like yeah, how was that that experience? Like knowing that your music yeah, has that, made. That's kind of how far. I felt about L.A. from the beginning. Not even L.A., but like the things that I do. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? It's just certain things. It happens when it's supposed to happen, and it's right on time with, you know what I'm saying, your path. And so, like, I never used to trip on L.A., you know what I'm saying? I never felt like, you know what I'm saying, I got to get out there. Then my then everything could change, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then all this shit would be easy. Like, nah, bro, if you don't do the steps you can before you get out there, it ain't going to matter, you know what I'm saying? I ain't really tripping on L.A. It was yeah. fun to go, though. And the first time we went out there, we stayed for like two months. Man, like, so we just we stayed, bro. First time we went out there, our mm -hmm. Airbnb was messed up. Like we was in this haunted house, <laughs> like for real, bro. It was a yeah, house. It was, ghost in the house. It was really yeah, ghost yeah, in the house. The lady <laughs> who, who who gave us the Airbnb came back in the middle of the night. She and some outrage on some tantrum talking about y'all gotta get out. She was dressed very weirdly for Hollywood, bro. She was dressed very weirdly. You telling me like this is this is like this is last the person year. that gave y'all the person the who she came she like, came gotta, at the crib and was like y'all gotta go. Y'all making too much noise. It was, it was four of us in there. Okay, and with a computer, we ain't had no speakers because we just got <laughs> in, four there, bro. in there. Two people were asleep. 
So I was sleeping in the back. Definitely okay. wasn't no party. Yeah. It's almost like she realized, like, oh, oh man, hold on, hold on. the basement was flooded. The base, like the basement, because we was just yeah. upstairs on the, on this level. But the basement, we oh, we just trying to see what the house like. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Most of the Airbnbs be lost or whatever. But like, the basement was flooded, man. So we just saying all oh, this to say that LA wasn't no cakewalk. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like LA was a grind, just like everything. We expect everything to be, but it's you know what I'm saying in order to 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 bring shit into fruition. You you have to have some type of connection with the fans, right? Before you go trying to sell something. Um, I know I've quoted this before, and I can't remember the guy's name where I heard it from, so I do apologize to him. But it's one of those things where he said he was speaking on why don't a lot of people you can have a great product, but why is it that people are afraid um, to to buy from you? And what he mentioned was that it was the fear of abandonment, right? It's the fear that your your customers, your fans. Um, are going to buy something from you and then you're going to abandon them. You know, it's, it's the same theory if you, you, you know, you walk into a store and get something and, you know, that company doesn't really care about you, right? It's that, it's that type of fear. And so with, with your consumer base, their main fear is that they're going to buy something from you and you're going to forget all about them. You're just going to collect that check, mail it to them, and then say like, hey, that's it, right? So that's my reasoning for... Um, Collect emails first before you even attempt to sell any merch, right? And, and I don't care if you're hearing this and you're a year in the game and you've been selling your merch and, you know, you, you've been doing okay. That's cool. I, I get it. But what I challenge you to do is is just take a month, you know, um, a month break from selling your merch. Unless your merch is just doing, you know, great, and, and which in that case, then, yeah, by all means, please disregard. But if you're, you know, selling a couple of pieces here and there, then, you know, just take a, a complete break from selling that merch. You know what I mean? Like, just take a month break and, you know, you're, you're restructuring, you know. Now, of course, if you have your website set up, you know, you can take orders online. But what I mean by taking a break is that you are actively out there trying to sell your merch. You are putting the face on and going out there and say, hey, buy my merch. I want you to just take a break from that for, for just one month. And kind of follow these steps here and just try it out. Like I said, it's a trial run. It's, it's a month. But but I'm almost willing to guarantee that you will see an increase in your sales if you just take the time out to, to really gather those emails. So, look, don't get me wrong. Selling the merch is definitely the goal. But, you know, you, you got to get those email addresses before you start selling. I'm going to tell you why. So, look, why collect emails first? Number one, like I said before, it's a direct connection to your fans, right? So, if you have an email address, it's essentially just like a phone number nowadays, right? It's the new age phone number. If you, if you get someone's email address, they're literally giving you permission to email them, to communicate with them. So, um, you, you don't want to forget that. You don't want to take that for granted. That That is... Um, a key to their to their door, you know. Think of it like that. They're they're giving you one of their keys, a spare key, um, to to their home. You know, uh, you're literally have a foot in the door, right? All you need now is that alarm code, and then you're good to go. But they're giving you a key, so they're giving you access. But hey, with that keeping that in mind, you have access. But don't. It's, it's like having a key, but knowing to call before you come type situation, right? So look, you know, you want to have that direct connection with those fans. So that's that's number one. That's the, the number one reason why you want to collect emails first. Uh, number two 
is that it's going to build a solid rapport before you're selling, right? That that thing that we talked about a few moments ago, that fear of abandonment, that goes out the window once you have somebody's email address and, and you're sending them um, letters, you know, you're sending them newsletters once a week or, you know, you're sending them friendly reminders that, hey, I have a show coming up in this place. You know, if, you, if you're there, definitely, you know, try to come out or, you know, um, I'm going to be in Florida. If you're if you're down in Florida, if you have any friends down in Florida, let them know about me. I'm going to be there, you know, come and see me perform that type of thing. So you're building a solid rapport before you're selling anything. So that that kind of gets rid of that whole fear of abandonment thing. You're literally taking the time out to get to know that person. Right. And believe it or not. But when you have someone's email address and, and they can sense that you're really taking the time out to get to know them, quote unquote, and not selling them everything, um, it really builds that solid relationship. And they feel like, man, I can talk to this guy or this girl about anything. And it's not just about me buying something in order to have access to them. It's, it's not like that. Hey, you want access to me? Let me get your email address, right? From that way, we can have a conversation back and forth. And, and that really um, helps solidify the relationship. And, and the, the number three thing, the reason why you should collect emails first is because guess what? Once you a establish that relationship and have that direct connection to those fans, you can sell at any time forever. As long as their email address, they're checking your emails. I think the biggest thing I learned this time around is you create first. Mm. You know what I mean? Create and internalize the concept and what you're actually trying to give to the people first. So then you can go back and handle like the business, as you're saying. It's to the point to where I recorded 11 records, mm -hmm. then completely pulled back from my creative process. Had no more. I was almost had writer's block. Couldn't go any further because I realized there's producers that I'm working with that I need to take care of the paperwork first before I start trying to promo and let these records leak. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, I, I mean, it's handled now, so I don't mind saying it. I released a record and um, got a little uh, uh, internet radio play. And they, you know, um, th their management of the producer came to me. He was like, yo, bro, I didn't know you released the paperwork. I didn't know you released that record. You know, I'm cool. But let's handle the paperwork in case something comes from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something premature that early on, again, I was still like, you know, thinking only independent, thinking indie, you know what I mean? Not not realizing that I was in the space that, that those factors are going to come into play. Mm. So I just re and bef I think in a lot of a lot of times I did in the past was release music and started moving forward and trying to develop a plan as I'm moving through it, you know, moving through the space. And for the first time, you know, we've taken our time. Yeah, you know, it's um, you know, all all of those things you said, man, it's so important, and um, and you know, things you you kind of learn going on, um, but I love what you said though because it's it's something that you you have to start thinking while you're on the independent level, like you're on a major level, mm -hmm. because you know the the the, tr the truth of the matter is when you're a major artist people handle all that stuff for you straight up so you don't have to think about it that's the beauty of being a major artist but you know uh, uh, coming with that you know you, they're gonna take a bigger cut of the pie but you know th there are so many ways man i was having this conversation with with somebody i can't remember who it was but just talking about how to make money um you know on the independent level like you can make money through soundcloud like and it's it's a company called sound exchange where they basically anything that's digitally streamed Mm -hmm. you know they can get your royalties for you okay. know what i'm saying so it's like you know it's just taking the steps to doing that stuff you know what i mean which and and, and i'm not gonna lie it's a tedious process on a lot of that stuff because you have to do paperwork and, straight up 
you know, paperwork can be a headache a lot of times, you know, because people are throwing stuff at you. And, and you, it, a lot of times when doing paperwork, it, it results in you having to dig and do a lot of research. You got to go back and do a lot of stuff because you didn't do it initially mm-hmm. and all that. So it's a headache. But I guess in the long run, it, it, it works out better, you know, for, for what you have going. Um, as I as I talk, I realize we're probably going to talk about a whole lot of stuff because there's just so much stuff, you know, to talk with you about. Um but but specifically with this project, man, and, and I know the the campaign and the marketing campaign that you you know you're going with with this and, and the way that you're presenting it with people. But um, what can you share if you want to share some of that stuff that you know the tools and, and, and things that you're using now to kind of help push this project forward? Um, what I think I'm realizing is it's okay to package personality. Mm. Um. And I say package personality over try to sell a character. Okay. I think a lot of times people think, yo, I'm not going to give you no gimmick. I'm not going to run with it. Instead of packaging aspects of yourself that you truly, that truly are you, mm-hmm. that you believe in, giving them more of the tip of the iceberg and taking what you would get at first at face value, packaging that and giving that to them, selling that to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's not a gimmick. You know, this whole neat thing is not some... Um, character or facade that anybody is trying to portray i just took my two basic muses whiskey and women <laughs> yeah and said you know what let's just package those as a platform to run with so at worst case scenario in the midst of creating and giving perspective on life and making cool fun records you know you at the end of the day the foundation of it was just whiskey and women mm. something that's easily relatable to anybody yeah. you know what i mean and um, I can't give any more gems because, you know, we're right there. But, you know, it was that's what I learned this this go around, not trying to be. I, I learned something recently that pride and success don't ride in the same car. Man, you say, know, that, say that one more pride time. Pride and success do not ride in the same car. Along the way, you're going to either crash and burn and mm-hmm. need to tune up or you're going to have to let some of that weight go. Man. You know, so. And I realized my pride was the one thing holding me back in this music thing, thinking I'm about to stay true. I'm an underground hip hop artist. You could do that, Div. You could do that, Devance. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, uh, still do that. But at the end of the day, realize that there is a process and a business to this. Man, I got to write that down. You said that that's stuck with me. That might be like, I don't even know what the name of this podcast is going to be, but that might be the title. You said pride and success do not ride in the same car. You know, and I was just, just kind of just felt like I was beat up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, a few things happen, which are, which are really cool when things like that happen, is um, I feel like it's just God will, like, show you, you know, things that you didn't see before. And um, I think the first thing that kind of, like, because I felt like nobody was listening. And the first thing that kind of, you know, caught my attention was um, was Chuck D., and what what happened was uh Chuck D, you know, got a hold of one of my songs and, you know, tweeted about, you know, how my music could change the world and tweeted about, you know, how, you know, I was smart from Oklahoma City that, you know, you a place you never would think of, you know, and he liked it, you know, and um and I just uh, I just it just really just took me back and it helped me realize like people are listening, you know, mm-hmm. not just people but Somebody like Chuck D, who we, who we, as you know, artists we love and respect, and you know I honor him. You know what I'm saying? So that happened, and um, 
I ended up getting on on a little a, a short leg of the Run the Jewels tour. Yeah. And um, my DJ is from Arizona, and at the time, uh, Marissa's personal assistant was friends with my DJ, and so, um, so what happened? So he went on a couple of dates with this Marissa's assistant, and he was like, "Man, I get, I hook you up with Marissa, like you know what I mean, like." You know, you dope, whatever. And so um, I got linked up with Merce. And, you know, he took me on tour and, you know, helped me a lot of stuff and was just, you know, just showing me around. And, you know, I would go out to L.A. with him for a few days and just do stuff. So at that point, I was just like, man, like, I just couldn't go back to work. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I had I, I had just, I had used all my, I, I couldn't crawl in no more. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just never went back. Actually, I did go back after I got, I, I went back like probably like three weeks after being gone, and I just went back like I ne- like I ne- never left. You see what happened? <laughs> and um, how how was my that? Ca- my yeah. car key didn't? You know how to get like the little card yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't work and stuff like that. So oh, they didn't I, let you. Yeah, go so that they, they yeah, you know what I mean. So um, it was just over. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I didn't try to get another job. I just said I just said because I I worked um, my, my I think my shift was like uh, eleven to seven. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, from that day forward, from 11 to 7, I did everything I, everything I could to make music my job. You know what I'm saying? So my, my normal hours, I would be working for somebody else. I was using the work for myself. I do want to get into the when you need a manager. Now, this is um, an area that it, it catches a lot of people off guard um, when I come, um, when I give my advice on this. Um, and it may rub some people the wrong way, and, and that's okay. I understand that, and I understand that um, why it may rub you the wrong way. But um, like I said, this is just my opinion, and you know, there's two different ways to to tackle this. So for me, I feel that you need a manager when you are starting to see um, some financial growth uh, from your artistry, and the reason why I say that is because. Until you really start to see something, until you're getting booked for shows, until you are actually selling CDs, um, and that can be selling CDs, you know, digitally or, or, or physically selling them out of the trunk of your car or whatever the case may be. Until you get to that point, um, then I don't think you really need a manager per se. Um, now, you can have somebody that's truly there assisting you, but um, in, in, in the terms of a manager, when we're talking about somebody that's going to be physically eating off of um, your brand, and, and I mean that in a good way, I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but before you're in a position where you're actually dividing um, up, up your capital with somebody, um, you want to make sure that you're actually making that capital. Now, you have all kind of people, you know, sometimes you guys may have been friends growing up. Um, it may even be a relative. Um, it may be somebody that truly believes in you that wants to be your manager. That's that's absolutely great. You know, that's how a lot of people start off. Um, but those are some things that you should, you know, take in consideration. Do you really want your manager to be your best friend? You know, uh, will your best friend be able to separate relationship from business? You know, all of those things come into play. So, just to go back to what I'm saying, when I, I truly believe you, you don't need a manager until you're starting to see um, some real traction um, from your artistry, you know, um, and, and at that point, that's when you really need somebody to come in and really help you out with these things, because 
up until that point, you know, you're, you're probably doing everything on your own. You're getting some help from others, but for the most part, you're doing a lot of stuff your own. And I'm all for that. I, I, I really believe that you should, um, like I said before, learn every aspect of your business and try to get as much, you know, done on your own as you possibly can. Go as far as you can on your own. And that's not saying that you can't get help from others. You know, I, I don't want you guys to think that you can absolutely get help from others. But as far as the management situation, try to go as far as you can on your own. And once you reach that point where you feel like, man, I really need this help. Um, I don't know what I'm doing at this point. At that point, do some more research before you go out and get a manager because um, managers can be a doggy dog, you know, um, type situation, man. I've seen so many artists out here that, um, you know, stop their career because they ended up with a bad manager, you know, and, and it could have been a situation where, you know, that manager really you know, wanted the best for them, but they just didn't know the business. They were just a friend or a family member that, you know, thought that they had their, their that person's best interest in mind and they wanted to help out where they could. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's cool. But you're talking about your career. So it's that that saying of um, would you place your career in the hands of somebody that doesn't really know your career or your plan or your goals, or your vision? Um, you wouldn't do that. It, it doesn't make sense. It, it's not really a smart move. So with that being said, you want to make sure that you choose somebody um, to be your manager who can, you know, truly benefit you and, and really know the business. If that person don't know the business, you know what? It's OK to keep them around as, as an understudy or, um, you know, maybe have a manager, somebody that knows their business and, and have that person kind of work up under them and kind of learn the ropes. And if you wanted to bring that person more in, you know, later on, then that's fine. But, you know, if somebody's going to be taking care of your career, you, you want them to really know what they're doing. You don't want them to be guessing um, early on, because if you don't build that solid foundation, you're going to sink and you're going to sink fast. So that's just something to think about, you know, when you need um, to go out and get that manager. Um, with you getting a mentor, what was that process for you like? How did you seek out a mentor and what were you looking for in a mentor? Um, well, first of all, what I was looking for in a mentor was finding somebody that is where, like right now, they're where I'm, where I want to be. So there, um, and that, that really makes it easy. So once, um, for me, I had to, that was my criteria. I want somebody who is touring full time, who is financially independent, and they're doing all of this based off of music they create, you know, preferably rap, but not limited to that. So that was my criterion. Um, I looked at my community, um, started going to local shows, and I met this guy. And you know, really, at first, he had a really cool set. Uh, so we, I started, you know, I friend him on Facebook, and I saw he was always gone. Matter of fact, his uh, Twitter bio uh, used to say on the location part, on tour, usually. And that's <laughs> when I came to find out he was always gone. And I was like, well, goodness gracious, this guy is doing exactly what I want to do in the way that I want to do it. So um, how I approached him was, I was like, hey, man, you know, um, I'd like to, you know, take you to coffee. Because I, I, I had met him at a show a lot of you were friends on Facebook, that kind of thing. So I was like, hey, is there any way that you have some time to meet up with me for coffee? He happened to be in town. He said yes. So... When he got to coffee, I bought him coffee, but and all I did was just ask him questions. Like, hey, how do you do this? Or, hey, what do you think about this? Or, hey, you know, after I you know, got to know him, I didn't ask him a bunch of questions that I had about, you know, my, my music stuff, you know, what I'm doing on my level. And he answered all those questions. You know, we just kind of went back and forth. And so whenever he would be in town, I would rush to, you know, meet him. And you know, I didn't mind paying the money to take him out to dinner. I didn't mind paying the money to take him out to coffee because the wisdom that I was getting from him was worth 
more than I could ever spend on any dinner, you know, and, and that's kind of the thing. A, a lot of people say the reason why, you know, people are where they are and people, the reason why you're at where you're at, where you, where you're at is because there's something you don't know. And so for me, I, that's just kind of what I thought was the only difference between me and him is there's something I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so let me figure out what it is. So, um, what happened is I just continually began to just take him out to, you know, dinner and this and that, and this and that, ask him questions and, you know, a friendship and a mentorship began to happen. And so now, um, that's just kind of where it is. And he's the one that got this whole billboard thing in my mind before that. I never would have thought about charting on billboard and I didn't know it was, you know, as, um, simple as what he had made it, you know, as how he described it. Cause he charted on billboard. So I asked him like, Hey, how did that go? Like, you know, whatever, whatever. He's like, Oh, well, this is what I did. This is what I did. This is what I did that, you know, kind of, you know, push in that direction. And so, um, how I sought him out was I just kind of had my own criteria. I wanted somebody who was doing what I'm doing full time. And then, I relentlessly made myself available around his schedule to meet up with him and just ask him questions, be humble enough to say, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me out? And I think that that's the biggest thing is, you know, get your criterion, find out somebody that matches it, and then be humble enough to seek them out, you know, and admit that you don't know what you're doing. And I think that um, that's the biggest problem, I think, in, in hip-hop, I, I guess, one of the biggest problems as far as independent artists is they're too prideful. A lot of people aren't just going to sit down and say, I don't really know what I'm doing. Can you look at my situation to help me out or whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? But I had to humble myself, and I don't mind doing that because I want to be where this guy is. So admitting that I don't know what I'm doing is a pretty small price to pay for, you know, being able to, you know, learn, you know. And so that's the thing. Like, you know, a lot of independent artists, they want to figure it out. They want to do it all on their own. They don't need anybody, this, that, this, that. And that's all well and good. But at the same time, it's not well and good if you want to get to where, you want to be. And for me, that was an easy thing. So that's kind of how I sought him out. And I'm super glad that I did because um, I'm getting to learn from all of his mistakes. Mm-hmm. I get to learn from all the mistakes that he did make and, you know, all the, all the things on the tour, you know, when he's touring, you know, how he, you know, goes through all that. Like I'm learning from all this for free. Like it literally cost me nothing. And what I'm, what I'm, the experience that I'm gaining from and like applying all the wisdom and knowledge is priceless. So Absolutely. That's, that's kind of, I'm, I'm a big advocate for mentorship, and I, that's just one of my mentors. That's just a mentor in, in, in rap. I have a mentor in life that I follow, and I ask him about different questions on how to be a better, you know, uh, boyfriend or how to be a better person in the workplace. Like, how do I, you know, really be the person that I want to be? I have several different mentors, almost like a, a board of advisors, and they all kind of, you know, speak into my life. So my life is a collection of, of their advice and their wisdom. You know what I mean? So I'm able to kind of really go further than I ever did and avoid a lot of mistakes because of this board of mentors. That's that's what you just said there sums up everything, avoiding those mistakes. And, and, you know, truth be told, when it comes to a mentor, you'll be surprised how many people are willing to answer your question. Yes. Most yes. people, if they're... You know, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, most people that are passionate about what they do are just waiting for you to ask them a question. They want to, that, yeah. you know, if, if you love what you do, you don't mind talking about it and you can talk about yeah. it for hours. So all you're doing is really yeah. waiting for somebody to ask a question. And, you know, it's, it's just like you said, it goes back to that pride. A lot of people are holding themselves back from years and years, years of potential just because they're too prideful to ask a question. Let me ask you this, though, like with, with dealing with the pitching of ideas, is there a way that you can protect those ideas? Like when you're talking to these different magazines and like, hey, I have this same to Killer Mike story. I have this this awesome story about Killer Mike and the business, you know, that he run in his community. How do you protect that idea? If, even if they never thought about using it, you know, how do you protect that? That's, that's tricky. Like sometimes you can do what is called like you can approach them like, all right, this is a 
open pitch, meaning that, excuse me, meaning that you ain't the only person I'm, you know, talking gotcha, to about gotcha. this. Okay. If you okay. say no, I'm probably going to go to somebody okay, else. Cool. So they kind of put some, some, sometimes they might put a fire on them like, all right, well, let's jump on this, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing because, you know, I mean, of course, I can't always prove it, but there have been times where I might have pitched a story to the magazine and then I've been like, nah, not yet. But then it's like two months later, voila, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Guess who's in the magazine? This person I told you about three, four months gotcha. ago. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of tricky, but for the most part, you know, what I used to do is, you know, is just tell them like, if they told me no, or, or even before the no came, I would just be like, hey, this is a open pitch. Like, you're not the only person I'm approaching with this idea. Gotcha. So you, you, you've been writing for some time now and, and what's next in the story? Because what I remember seeing is um, the website, mm-hmm. marisgarland.com. Um, like, was that kind of, or was all that kind of simultaneously happening? It was, it was simultaneous because, you know, because like, man, I, I, I update that blog like sparingly now. I've been meaning to get back yeah, I was to gonna it. Ask you know what that saying? was a question I was going to ask. But it's yeah. like, um, yeah, like that came out of a couple things because you know, when I was working that rolling out, like I said, you know, they covered specific things, you know what I'm saying? And cause like they, for one, like they didn't cover sports a whole lot. They didn't cover a lot of sports and they didn't cover a lot of hip hop when I was working there. They cover all of that stuff now, you know what I'm saying? But when I was working there, sports and hip hop weren't really the priority. So, gotcha. you know, there will be times where I might be at some event and I might meet an athlete. Or, you know, some GM, and I'm like, I got all these story ideas, but I don't have nowhere to put them at. Mm. You know, or I might have something to say about a trend that I see developing, but I would have nowhere to put it at yet. This is before I learned how to start pitching and stuff, you know what I'm saying? But what I used to do is I just started a, uh, a, a MySpace blog, you yeah, know what I'm saying? I just yeah. get on MySpace and be like, well, this is what I think about the World mm. Series, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, This yeah. is what I think about this CD, this person, whatever there is. So, like, you know, I kind of just start doing that just out of, you know, joy and just getting the ideas out instead of just sitting and having them in my head driving mm. me crazy. Gotcha. You know, so I started that. And then, um, you know, eventually, you know, like, you know, MySpace kind of, you know, just, you know, became non-relevant after yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I, you know, I, I got schooled on how to start a, you know, a, um, a blog spot and a WordPress page and all those kind of things. So that was the same thing there. It's like a lot of times the blogs that I started off writing were either ideas that I couldn't get approved anywhere, mm. or it might be a wealth of information that I couldn't fit into a story that I wrote okay. for somebody. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Cause like for instance, um, what's a good example? Like I wrote this, uh, this story on like the history of Suave House Records one time, you know, because like by that point, like the label had disbanded, yeah, everybody yeah. was just out, you know, everything. Man, I, I gotta read that. that yeah, sounds... like a lot of people were like, "Man, whatever happened to them boys, yeah, man? They yeah, were jamming." Man. Yeah. And so, I wrote the story. Matter of fact, me and another writer teamed up on it. A writer named uh, Jacinta Howard. Like we both teamed up, you know, to write the story, and only a little bit of it got. Okay, it was supposed to be like a two-part series. Supposed to be mm-hmm. two parts, and only one part got published. I think it wound up getting published in Ozone. And it was supposed to come out like the next month, but something happened. I don't remember what, but the second part never got published. So I was like, man, I'm just gonna throw this on the internet somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I just threw it on Blogspot on you know the Blogspot page that I started, and everybody was like, yo, man, this is dope. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I was like, all right, cool. I, I can do this. I can gotcha. you know use this extra information. And put it there. Or if it was a story idea that I couldn't get 
approved anywhere. I'm like, well, I'm just going to publish it myself. Mm. You know, and that's kind of where it started. Cause like the first blog I had, it was actually called uh, the residue. You know, as in leftovers, because oh, yeah, that's yeah. what it was. It was like, <laughs> well, I couldn't get the rest of this published. I'm yeah, yeah. gonna throw it up there. Oh, I, I couldn't put that in there because like, sometimes you that's know, that's a dope name. Man. You need to uh, bring that back. Oh, I, I might bring that back for something yeah. else. You know what I'm saying? But it's like um, we, because one thing I used to do there, like I said, I, I used to put the, you know the extra information up there, mm-hmm. and then what what I said, what I uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. But yeah, I, I was putting like the extra information up there and, you know, people were appreciating it and, you know, it, it kind of just like grew into a whole nother thing. And then um, uh, my homeboy, Tori Edwards, one day he was just like, yo, man, you, you need to brand yourself. And at this point, I don't, I'm not even thinking about like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, a brand. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. but, but, like, <laughs> but he was like, man, you need to brand yourself, man. You should just name everything after you because you're a brand. Like you are developing a brand for yourself, man. Mm-hmm. Like you are the... Southern hip hop guy, you're the Atlanta guy. You just, you know, you're creating your own content. You should brand yourself, you know. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll entertain that, you know. So I, that's when everything kind of just switched to, you know, Ariesgarden.com. You know what I'm saying? But remember when MTV used to do the MTV Diaries mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. in the day, and they um they were doing a diary of Ja Rule. Gotcha. It was they were on the Hark Not Like tour, mm-hmm. and he was on the tour bus, and he was getting off the tour bus going into a radio interview. And it was this lady walking with them. And, uh, you know, they bring the names and the titles up on the screen. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. Julie Greenwald, director yeah. of marketing for Dev Jam. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Gotcha. That, like, it was a light. I was sitting in my mom's living room like, that's what I want to do. And But my reason for doing it was because I don't want to be a rapper. Mm-hmm. I know I didn't want to be a rapper. I wanted to be a part of the music business. But I was like, if she gets the walk with the artist yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I want to do whoever can put me close to the artist and put me in the mix so fast forward 2002 Clarkland University was doing a homecoming with the whole Peyton it was the Peyton Fool tour right after the movie came out with oh, wow, Rockefeller yeah. and I was that kind of person where I never wanted to be in the crowd I always found a way to mm-hmm. make it backstage or found a little pass or whatever I seen people walking around with Def Jam jackets on I ran up to a guy had on a Def Jam jacket. Yo, what do you do? I'm in promotion. I'm trying to do whatever. I want an intern. He gave me his card. I called him the next day. He bought me a stack of posters and a stapler. And was like, get to it. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so that was October 2002. I, my, I, it was timing for me until I got lucky. So we fast forward February 2003. Mm-hmm. All-Star Weekend was coming to Atlanta. Oh, man, I remember so that So DTP was also Def Jam South. Yeah. Off of the old offices on... Um, 11th Street, mm-hmm. right behind, well, it's um, Raw Sushi now, but it used to yeah, be yeah. Visions Nightclub. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Vision, so, yeah. and they was putting together, there's a whole street team, and once again, staple a staple gun, get to it, you in the streets all weekend, you know, I'm driving around Swiss Beats and his father when they had the full surface movement with Cassidy, gotcha, gotcha. Shaka was like, oh, you from Philly? He's like, yeah, Freeway and Freeway and Rockefeller yeah. going on promo tour, go help them put their... Posters up. This one, people was doing in stores. It was DBS Sounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Down on the south side. Um, so I I got in it fast because of the momentum that was going through Atlanta at that time mm-hmm. with All Star Weekend. Um, Ludacris was going into Too Fast Too Furious movie. Um, just a whole lot of things that was going on. It was crazy. I was talking about it on Instagram the other day because it was like the 12 year anniversary of Chicken and Beer for Man, for, Lu- for Ludacris. So. Man. Like, just thrown into the fire, like, 
um, Shaka's cousin that was running promotions at that time in 2003 was like, you want to go to Miami? Of course. I had yeah. never, never been in Miami before without my parents yeah. at that time. So I'm going to Miami. They down there recording Chicken and Beer. At the same time recording that, they recording Chingy's first album. So I got to hear Holiday Inn. Before it came out with Snoop and Luda yeah. in the studio, I got to hear Stand Up when Kanye was producing it down there in Miami. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. Shaka went to go meet Fat Joe to play records for him. I was like, yo, this is Fat Joe. I'm, I'm thrown into yeah, it. I'm like, yeah, yo, this yeah. is like, it. In the mix. In the mix. Yeah. This is it. But I think um, it's just knowing whatever my model is, whatever the end goal is, you know, it's going, everybody walking down their road, whatever the end goal is, it's going to be all kind of obstacles and things that presents itself and opportunities that presents itself along the way. And you just got to know how to navigate it. So, hey, there you go, man. Uh, the best of 2015 straight out the damn podcast, man. I appreciate you guys for listening uh, a little bit over two hours, man. So hopefully it was good enough to keep your attention. Um, it, definitely some gems in there. I think so. Anyway, um, I, I will say this next year, I will get started on this process a, a whole lot earlier. Um, I didn't realize that it was going to be this much work or either that or I got to get some interns, man. Um, you know, if you you or anybody else, you know, want to intern, feel free to send me an email at interns at straight out the den.com and i'm being serious um i I would love to get your help and and love to be able to help you um give some insight to you hands-on insight so if that's something that you're interested in feel free um you know to shoot me an email i I would love to hear from you um and, and you know send me your resume and and we'll take it from there um as far as 2016 goes, we're, we're going to definitely continue to give you as much content as we possibly can, um, especially on this podcast. Anyone that follows the actual site, straightoutthedan.com, um, you know that we do a lot of underground hip hop and, and things of that nature. We're going to continue to give you that. Um, we're also going to make some changes and try to um, shake up things a little bit. Uh, we, we have a couple of uh, visuals uh, that I want to do. I, I said my goal for 2016 is to become more visual. Um, I, I stepped back on the visual side of, of things, but we want to increase that. And we have a boatload of content that's waiting um, to be put out. And, and, and it's a lot of good stuff. Um, so we're definitely going to get that the ball rolling on that in 2016. So um, if you're if you're following the site, definitely look out for that. Um, other than that, you know, I just want to tell everybody, you know, well wishes in the new year. Um, definitely keep working hard and progressing um, forward with your goals and, and things that you have going on with your career. Um, you know, I just look forward to, to helping you. You know, that's that's really why I'm here. That's the reason why I started doing this thing. And, you know, hopefully I've been able to, to accomplish um, just a small fraction of that. So, you know, I'm here for help. If you need help, uh, definitely feel free to contact me. I, I, I'm here to do that. Um, I can do as much as I can from the position that I'm in. Um, for those that are looking for someone with some more marketing help, I can be a little more detailed. Um, but I have to be honest, that detail will cost a price. So um, I can't do everything for free. This podcast is free and, and you guys get this insight for free. But uh, if you want me to be a little more hands on with your career, um, I can definitely do that. But that in that capacity there, that's there's a fee associated with that. But feel free to contact me as always. Um, uh, my email is justin at straight out the very simple, very easy. You can hit me up there. And, and if you do have any additional questions, if it's regarding the podcast, feel free to send those emails to podcast at straight out the com. And, and as always, I, I am available on all things social media at straight out the den. That's S T R, the number eight O U T D A D E N. Um, 
by all means, I, I'll say it again, like, please subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend to tell a friend, um, go to iTunes, and hopefully, uh, as two, 2016 starts, um, Google Play will have us up and running, we're still waiting on, we've been accepted, uh, everything is a go on that, and we're just waiting for them to actually uh, press the green button, um, and so those podcasts can, can start showing up there, but uh, we've done everything on our part, we're just waiting on them, but other than that, you know, have a great year. Um, I, I wish you nothing but the best of luck in 2016. You know what? I don't even wish you the best of luck. I wish you the best of opportunities once you become prepared. You know, so uh, keep working and, and uh, by all means, um, don't give up. You know, so if you, if you have a dream, uh, pray on that dream, research that dream and work until that dream becomes a reality. And with that being said, I'm Jay Good, straight out the den. Happy New Year. Um, I appreciate everything you guys do. You know, happy 2016. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.